Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Chris Pratt does for condescending and dismissing legitimate anti-LGBT concerns. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Sir Patrick. And Al Kennedy. Hey Al! Hello. Al, uh, back for, well... Whilst there were some uh, bonus episodes in between, back for the first time since Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Yeah, and that sure was a, not. It was uh, about two and a half years ago, I think. No, Maybe three and a, three and a half years ago it was. No, but we've had we have had you on for a bonus episode at least since then. Mm-hmm. But yeah, really ball drops on our account. Um, so uh, for any of our listeners who might not have been with us for for that entire three and a half years, uh, you let, let listeners know a little bit about yourself and, and who you are, although yeah. I'm sure a lot of them will know already. Well, I'm Al Kennedy. I am a uh, podcaster who does a podcast called House to Astonish, which is a comics news and review podcast that's been running for a little over 10 years now. I think we are certainly one of the longest running comics podcasts in Britain. Um more through, I think, editorial oversight than anything else. Um, and yeah, we come out about <laughs> approximately um, once a month. Or we've had two episodes so far this year, which is unusual for us. It's a bit kind of none may know the hour of its coming kind of thing, you know. Um, the only thing that people will be able to tell about our schedule is that it has no schedule. And that it usually comes out on a Sunday when it does come out. Yeah, well, it depends on how um, bothered I can be to immediately edit, <laughs> compile, and upload the podcast and do all the marketing stuff for it, really. If it's very late on a Friday night or a Saturday night, then I might not bother. Might <laughs> Listen, be a Sunday. You've got probably a more regular schedule than we do at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but we are gearing up for a busy few months. Yeah, we're coming. Mm hmm. Guys, I mean, we're all waiting for that New Mutants movie to drop randomly on Netflix on a Thursday. <laughs> Some point in March. 
Um, and Al, just as for anyone who hasn't listened to your podcast, so you kind of start out with newsy bits, and then you get into like your main review section, and then you do a silly bit at the end. So yeah, it, it might it might throw listeners of our podcast a little bit format wise. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the, this is not the podcast that me and James have done that comes the closest to ripping off House to Astonish's format. <laughs> I remember Seven Seven and I met in a bar uh, near Hoban to discuss this podcast way back in the day, and I don't think I was a House to Astonish listener at that point, or at least I hope not, or because Al, if if I was, I was I was subconscious I was subconsciously or consciously ripping you off. Um, <laughs> But seven, seven. I spent ages, like ages, putting together this format and figuring out how it would work and how long we'd devote to each thing, and uh, and yeah, we ended up doing very close to what you do: <laughs> news reviews and then mucking about at the end. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hey, shall we discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of Kinka Usher's nineteen ninety-nine movie Mystery Men? That was a pretty good segue. I know, it was good, wasn't it? <laughs> was it as good as any of the segues on last week's news special, though, which were my little tribute to Joe and the art of segues? They were certainly... Um, they were definitely segues. <laughs> they definitely existed. Yes, like that segue that got driven off a cliff and killed a guy. <laughs> oh, what, the founder of segues? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I, really, I really do need to listen, don't I? Dying, um... dying of your own invention is a bit like the guillotine. <laughs> Not that hey. the inventor of the guillotine actually died of the guillotine. That's an urban legend. You'll get letters. Before any of that, I'm going to ask Seb and Al to explain to me something that I don't know about Hitmonkey. <sighs> you, you couldn't have made it the new warriors or speed <laughs> on to just give me like five minutes break, could you? Listen, hit there's a monkey. hit monkey in the news, and it's at this point when something turns up in comic book movie news that I've literally never heard of. I've got to ask the question, don't I? Well, what is the deal with hit monkey? As I'm sure Jerry <laughs> Seinfeld would ask. <laughs> yeah. What's the deal? The deal with uh, hit monkey is he was a character it. that was created for Deadpool. <laughs> by the writer yeah. Daniel Way. Daniel Way was a weirdly inexplicable thing that kept happening for a few years and then stopped happening as far as I can tell. I think we're safe now. Um, but it was... <laughs> Daniel Daniel Way, if if anyone in the world was as funny as Daniel Way thinks he is <laughs> in the pages of his Deadpool run, um, you, you know, you'd be looking at the greatest comedian in history. Where is it? Where where does his Deadpool run fall in the Low. over? Uh, no, sorry, I mean in the chronology of Deadpool. I mean the chronology. Uh, yeah, it's about it's knocking on for about ten years ago now. I think, isn't it? Yeah, it was. It was kind of. Two, I think he started at the end of two thousand and eight. It's funny because I've actually, I've literally been writing about one of his arcs earlier today. Um, oh, but, so yeah. this would be around X Men Origins Wolverine time. Yes, and it was basically around the time of Deadpool's massive explosion in popularity. Because the thing about Daniel Way, I, I think yeah. Daniel Way is partly responsible for the negative opinion that some of us have of Deadpool at the time that Deadpool became massively popular because he did a style of Deadpool book that appealed to a lot of people and was massively popular, but it kind of defined that Deadpool would go down a particular route of style of humour. And those of us who didn't like it, we were kind of stuck with that Deadpool for quite a long it time. It was a very it's uh, a very mean take on Deadpool. Daniel you know Way was in a comic. 
<sighs> he had like <laughs> dueling narration boxes was the, the main thing that Daniel Way brought in and they were in different typefaces. And Daniel Way thought this was really funny and it's not that funny. And the comic just was like the previous runs had painted Deadpool as essentially a kind of conflicted figure. Like he Joe Kelly's uh run, Christopher Priest's run what Gail Simone did with the character, um, what Fabian Nicesa did with the character. All of these people wrote a Deadpool who was, yeah, he was a mercenary. And yeah, he had killed people, but he also kind of wanted to know where his place was in the world and kind of wanted to know whether he was a goodie or a baddie. Whereas Daniel Which was... Is kind of, I guess, what the movies have tried to yeah, do. Yeah, actually, there's, there's a good amount of that in there. But... Daniel Way's version was just like, what if we took all the stuff about like jokes about B. Arthur and Chimichangas and like inappropriate erections and just that was the full depth of the take on the character? Oh, and it's going to kill a lot of people and it's going to be quite a nihilistic take on the book and the character. And be- Oh, so it's like Deadpool 2. <laughs> I actually think Deadpool <laughs> 2 is more empathetic than Deadpool 1. Everyone likes Deadpool 2 apart from Joe, who's decided that. <laughs> Don't like what it represents. <laughs> but no, it was. I mean, I think if you. I mean, you know, I've never been like the biggest fan of Deadpool, but I think. Uh, it, uh, it, uh, Certainly, Daniel Way stuff is the stuff that appeals the least. And then you look at what followed it, which is uh, the Brian Posey. How do you pronounce his surname? Posey. Posey and, and Jerry Duggan stuff. Mm just is is so streets mm. ahead of of what Daniel Way was doing um that yeah it's just best left <laughs> where it was yeah. so hitmonkey features into this arc somewhere does he yeah hitmonkey is a is a macaque monkey right and he, right. as far as i can remember this is just off the top of my head i don't know if you've been writing about I'm this stuff like said, a but... guy myself. <laughs> Ah, oh, he's just bandwagon jumping, Seb. Everyone's into capuchins this year. I mean, this capuchins are the <laughs> capuchins are this year's gourmet burgers. Um, Crystal the capuchin, one of my favourite movie stars of all time. <laughs> Look her up; she's a legend of the industry. <laughs> anyway, so he's a, a macaque monkey. He gets involved somehow in like there's an assassin in like. <sighs> It, it somehow this like family of macaque monkeys dies and um hit monkey decides he's gonna like avenge his family and like he takes on the assassin he takes the assassin's guns and like takes on their whole shebang and it's it's rubbish Joe, it's rubbish. And they kept bringing him back and they kept putting him in things. They kept trying to make fetch happen with this stupid monkey. And it did not work. The monkey is a crap character. Never been a good story with Hitmonkey in it. They keep putting him in like the video games and stuff like anybody cares. The only people who have ever cared about Hitmonkey are Daniel Way and Axel Alonso. And it's just emblematic of a certain type of kind of slightly fratty very stupid kind of like a very surface 
kind of humour, like the fact that he's a monkey is supposed to be funny in and of itself. It's the kind, it's, the, it's this sort of Big Bang Theory kind of humour where it's like just because there's a reference doesn't mean that there's a joke. You know, the kind of people for whom the, saying the word bacon is a substitute for putting in a punchline to something, you know? That's where Hit Monkey fits in. And I, I hate him, and I hope he drowns. <laughs> is there an argument, though, that sometimes it being a monkey, not in this, but in, in popular culture, I mean, it, it is nope. funny? What about MVP, Most Valuable Primate? Nope. He's a monkey. Skates. Well, I think what that film has taught us oh, is that the, the the rules committees need to be a little bit more thorough because there should be something in the rules <laughs> says Chimp can't play ice hockey. And Whoa, turns out, dog, turns out there's not. I'm not against them. I didn't, I didn't know you were I'm not guy. against them having their own league. <laughs> <laughs> I won't watch right. it. And it, I tell you what, it won't bring in the big sponsorship money. Well, let's talk about four animated shows that are coming to Hulu. Mm. We'll go in reverse order, and we'll start off with Hitmonkey, which comes from <laughs> Josh Gordon, I'm presuming not the NFL star, and Will Speck, uh, and will follow a Japanese snow monkey trained by the ghost of an American assassin who hopes to get vengeance on the Tokyo criminal underworld. I, I actually have something mildly interesting to say about this, which is... Um, surely Hitmonkey comes with the rights to Deadpool? Because he first appeared in... Oh, no, he well, first appeared in a digital one-shot, so... Well, this is this is animated as well, and I think, as we know before, Marvel TV were developing that Deadpool animated Donald Glover uh, show yeah. with FX, so I'm assuming that Marvel own all of its own animated rights? Presumably. I don't think anyone else is making animated stuff of that. Well, I think does, does, uh. the TV rights not also go separately from movie rights all the time. That's why, for example, Marvel was able to continue to make Spider-Man cartoons the whole time that Sony had the Spider-Man movie rights. Not necessarily with live action, though, because The Gifted had to come as a co-production between Marvel Yeah, this, this is what I'm saying, though, because those were Spider-Man cartoons, so they could make those, and these are going to be cartoons, so they can make these regardless. Yeah, so I'm assuming that that's how it works rights-wise. Mm. Um, I'm going to assume, guys, that these aren't going to become part of the MCU, uh, given that one of them is Hitmonkey. I do hope not. Uh, I, think, I think that's probably all we need to say about Hitmonkey. Let's well, go through who, the other who are, Wait, hang on a second, hang on a second. Who are the people who are actually making these things? Because the Josh Thingme and Thingme, they did Blades of Glory, the film Blades of Glory. I believe. Right, well, there you go. And um, Office Christmas Party, apparently, according to this Variety article that I've got in front of me, they, co- they co-directed... The office Christmas they co-directed Party Josh, is a movie. Josh Gordon and Will Speck co-directed Blades of Glory and Office Christmas Party. Um, Netflix keeps trying to get me to watch Office Christmas Party. Oh, dear. It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> I got an email today saying, Joe, you might enjoy it. And I, oh, God, there's a reason I haven't clicked on it yet. <laughs> Especially in February. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the next of the four shows, guys, is Tigra and Dazzler. Is I would it say Tigra, Tiger, probably, because she's, she's like a tiger. Okay, Okay. so Tiger and Dazzler. This comes from Chelsea Handler, yep. interestingly, and Erica Rivenosia. 
Uh, and the description here is stars two woke superheroes. Living in LA, the pair decide to fight for name recognition amongst among other superpowered people while also trying to find to make it in a city filled with people trying to make a name for themselves. And this all which doesn't really tell you much. No, but anything, it does, does it? also sound terrible. Like if you anything <laughs> yeah. where it goes two woke superheroes and you go, Oh, is Any, this where anything we're, that uses the word Yeah, is this woke. where we're gonna be mining the comedy from, is it? Yeah. And woke is in inverted commas. Yeah, well. and yeah. well, I mean, Riven O'Hare worked on South Park previously, so right. So it's the we'll have a pop at anybody kind of. Yeah, kind of I mean Chelsea Handler. I'm slightly surprised. Like she's good. I don't know why she's involved with this ship of fools here. <laughs> I, uh, I I don't dis I I'm, I I don't dislike Chelsea Handler, but I would say I find her funny very intermittently. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's keep going, and we can kind of talk about the shows. One overall. interesting thing, though, before um, we go on, Dazzler yeah. definitely has rights things going on because she is absolutely an X Men character. Yes, and I think that they, I think there was going to be a Dazzler cameo in X Men Apocalypse on a record in the record store that um, there was yeah. Cyclops and Jean Grey were going through. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure whether did the, did the sequence in its entirety get cut, but I'm sure there was like a rumor that it was going to be Taylor Swift or something. I don't know if it got mm. cut from that cut. film. Whilst many of the other bits that remained in remained in, then <laughs> learning <laughs> it's just so bad. Anyway, <laughs> that that film does not get the criticism that it deserves. I think largely because everyone's forgotten it exists, but pretty much, yeah. Still, uh, so Modok, that's the next one. Uh, we'll see the titular character try and take back control of his villainous organization while also trying to handle the demands of his family. This series comes from Jordan Bloom and Patton Oswalt. Interestingly, I feel like they've done the versions of the character the wrong way round because shouldn't it be Brodock before me? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, presumably, presumably, Patton Oswalt is actually going to play Modoc then. You'd hope so. He's got a good voice for it. <laughs> yeah, that would work. Jordan it? Bloom is good. Jordan, Modoc, Bloom's, bizarrely... Jordan Bloom worked on Community and is not is not a bad writer. There we go. So maybe that that sounds, given the talent involved, like the most promising of the projects. Modoc was one of the. So aside from like, like dabbling with comics like Watchmen, my my first like just dive into I got like a trial on Marvel Unlimited and just picked a random Avengers issue, and Modok was the mm-hmm. villain in it. And I decided I decided off the back of that that I didn't like comics and didn't read them again for another <laughs> two or three years. <laughs> there is a superb issue of marvel adventures avengers which was a series ostensibly for kids which was written by a terrific writer called jeff parker and um there's an issue of that where modok turns all of the avengers into modoks and so they've all got big heads and chairs and tiny arms and all that kind of stuff it's amazing He's also Is that the way to treat that character? To to essentially treat him as a joke? It's the way he's almost exclusively been treated for a long time now. The only time I've seen it not done that way in the past 20 years, maybe, was in an arc of Captain America and the Falcon, written by Christopher Priest, where Priest basically took one look at Modoc and was like, this character design, if you encountered this thing in real life, it would yeah. be terrifying so the, he, he <laughs> leaned right into the absolute creepiness of modok and the hugeness of modok and you had this I, I can't even remember who drew it um 
Valsamix possibly or somebody like that. But it was it was pretty great. But he's he's generally like a, only, a comedy character. The only way you'd probably get me to read Modoc in twenty nineteen is if like Al Ewing was writing it. Like that. <laughs> well, the most <laughs> most recent arc on the new um, well the first arc of the new West Coast Avengers book was written by Kelly Thompson. Has got Modoc. Uh, coming back as this guy Brodock, who looks a bit like kind of Thor, and he's like stripped to the waist, but he's still got a huge head. Oh uh, but he's God. trying to like he, he thinks that maybe part of the the reason why people don't like him is that he's he doesn't look very attractive. So he tries to reinvent himself as this amazing guy. It's very it's very very good that West Coast Avengers book. Uh, it probably will be better than this series. Yeah, I don't well, know. Yeah, probably. I, I, I don't know if I want a Modot series, but like like you said, the, the talent involved with this one is yeah, a least. little better than some of the others. A li- little bit more encouraging. And that brings us to the fourth of these shows. We have Howard the Duck, which comes from writers Kevin Smith and Dave Willis, mm-hmm. which will see Howard get trapped in a new world and try and find his way back home with the help of his girlfriend, Beverly, before Dr. Bong can turn him into a tasty treat. So, I don't know, it's can't help movie? thinking it's what <laughs> Steve Gerber would have wanted. Yeah, okay, Howard the Duck. <laughs> Can I have a small rant about Howard the Duck? Which is, Howard the Duck was created in the 1970s as a vehicle for Steve Gerber, a very socially conscious and activist guy, to do satirical stories about things of the day. So it was stuff that, when you go back and read the original um, Howard the Duck stuff now, it's stuff that you would just go, what is this about? I did. Well, well, yes, yes, but the thing is, when you're reading it, you go, what is, why is there an entire story about credit cards? It's because credit cards were brand new and they were, there was a satire about the concept of credit cards. And there's a satire about the Moonies and things like that. Just stuff that nowadays you just go, what is the point here? And you had. And some very specific political Totally. When Howard runs president. Yeah, yeah. And, um, apparently he, in real life, he polled very well. Um, like they they made a whole publicity thing out of it and everything, and and Howard actually uh, people would have voted for him, um, but he's very um, intelligent satire. He's very um, uh, it, it, it's quite an activist comic. In years following, Howard has mostly been reduced to a character where the point of him is. He's a mopey, complaining... He's, he's basically like somebody has put a pair of pants on Donald Duck, which is how they got in trouble in the first place. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's not got that same kind of um, slightly wistful and um, kind of freewheeling satire to it that, that is in the original Gerber stuff. Now, the fact that I mean there are there are decent Howard comics, let's not kind of play that down. You can do good stuff with the character, but bearing in mind what the character was created to do, the fact that you would say, I will get the man who brought us yoga hosers to do a TV show about Howard the Duck is literally is the opposite of what I would want from a Howard the Duck show. I mean I like, I mean, okay, Dave Willis, I like Aquatine Hunger Force, okay? 
I think it's good. I still don't think Dave Willis is the right guy to be doing a Howard series either. I honestly, I would have, I don't know who I'd give it to. Somebody suggested Tom Sharpling would have been an interesting guy to do the voice. And I honestly now cannot imagine anything better than a Howard the Duck series with a sort of a best show kind of um, infusion into it. Well, presumably. I mean, I don't imagine he's particularly busy. Yeah. But yeah, so that's my little rant. I'm not massively looking forward to Howard the Duck. Can you tell? (laughs) Oh, you and I were talking off mic about Kevin Smith. And I think, I mean, I I like Kevin Smith, the personality. Uh, I, I, I think it's worth pointing out that the best thing that Kevin Smith has ever done was a cartoon. However, it was a cartoon, A, that he did with somebody, all right, he's doing this with somebody else, and B, it was before he got into weed. Yeah, so, but it's great, it's great that's, downfall. That's the clear dividing line in the quality of Kevin yeah. Smith's career. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Kevin Smith's early career, there was, there was at least interesting streaks or merit in flawed movies for the best part of a decade, and then things mostly mm. fell off i mean generally so we, we we talked through those four shows now and it's so a modok howard uh tiger and dazzler um and what was the other one that hit monkey oh. um and it i don't know it seems to me like this feels like marvel and hulu going can we adult swimify some of our some of our characters in an animated form um and I think, given the the approach to these, it sounds it does sound like it's more adult and probably something that wouldn't sit on the Disney Plus service. He, and that's and and that's why they're allowing them to exist. Yeah. Um, that doesn't sound like something I would be into. And certainly, when you see that this is coming from Marvel TV and Jeff Loeb, who you know. <laughs> The track record is pretty clear at this point. Even their more, more interesting, more successful shows have kind of shown a downward trajectory and there's been a lot of misses. I don't know. I saw this announcement and lots of people getting getting excited on social media and I kind of scratched my head a little bit and went, why? Yeah, I, f- I can't say I felt anything other than true and bottomless despair at it. Um when you, you look at the shows that the people have worked on, it definitely is an attempt to bring it into a kind of um, adult swim direction because mm. Willis did Aqua Teen, he created Squidbillies, um, Jordan Bloom wrote for American Dad, um, Erica, Erica Rivinoa um, wrote for South Park. It's definitely a particular, it's quite a broy kind of um, approach yeah. to humour and you just know that it's going to be we're, they are going to turn Howard the Duck or try to turn Howard the Duck into the next Deadpool. It's going to be black t-shirts you can buy in HMV for as long as HMV remains a place where you can buy things. It's going to be a infinite Funkos on infinite typewriters. It's going to be <laughs> just uh, a huge selection of tat and rubbish and there will be a Deadpool cameo somewhere I'm sure and they'll go hey look what we got away with and 
Yeah, and it's, I'm not looking forward I, I, to it. It's just it, going to be another bad <laughs> product from Marvel Television that is and you can imagine the terrible people, people. That are going to yeah. be into it. The people who are going to be into it are, are going to be the people who like Rick and Morty for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I don't mean to sound like a snob, I, I like... though I am, but, you know. <laughs> it, will, it will be made in that style as well, where I I, I, I appreciate I'm, you know, not everyone feels this way, but I hate the animation style of just about every adult, in inverted commas, cartoon. There's just something about that quite prevalent animation and character style that you see that just really rubs me up the wrong way, and I don't know what it is, and it hasn't always been... That sort been of barely animated thing um, where they all stand at... In, in, in relation to the camera, they all stand at, like, a 45-degree angle off of straight. Like, every, every, like everybody's <laughs> trying to let I... you see the, what's on their T-shirts while facing each other. It's the way that WWE wrestlers watch backstage footage with the television at a 45 degree angle to where they're standing so that they can still sort of half face the camera. Hands up here. I don't watch much animated comedy and you know, it's probably Bojack Horseman and that's it. Um, so I don't feel in a, in a, in a hugely informed place to judge. All I know is there's a reason why I don't watch much animated comedy. It's not really my thing. And I don't think that this will be either adult animated comedy. That is Mm. anyway. So, sounds like a thumbs up all <laughs> round for uh, up for all Marvel them. and Hulu. What a good start. Oh, sorry, and the one, thi- the one thing I didn't mention is that, oh God, uh, Alan, you might still have it up in front of you, close the window. They are all going to team up in oh, a, a The Offenders. The called The Offenders. Oh, just honestly. Oh dear. Hey, should we talk about something that I, I am actually excited about? <laughs> so, um Al, I don't know where I, I don't know whether you've seen Aquaman yet. No, I get to see about two films a year. <laughs> Thanks to my kids. <laughs> you didn't you didn't select No, Aquaman I went to see Into the Spider Verse instead and I do not regret it. <laughs> it was right, jolly good. This, <laughs> this section this section then is going to be be me aquasplaining <laughs> things to you. So Aquaman, weird movie, uh, kind of entertaining, um, I would say. Uh, we, we'll get to it on the podcast eventually. Uh, it has made $1.12 billion 1. worldwide. 1.21. is a huge hit. It is the, it's the highest grossing DCEU movie. And uh, that means sequel, obviously. So uh, a sequel was announced officially greenlit this week. The uh, one of the writers from the first movie, David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, is uh, returning to write the script for that. Um, but the, you know that's kind of expected, isn't it? James Wan kind of said he wanted to do some more. He's coming back to do some more. What is unexpected is that there is also going to be a spin-off from Aquaman. <laughs> of course, there is, and it is going to be called The Trench. Now, guys, let me. I tell know you about, about the trench. trench. They're a thing from the comics, and that's the only thing I really know about. They're <laughs> monsters. The well, monsters I'll... who live in a hole underwater. Yes, great, right? Sounds sounds good so far. Yeah, I'm there. So in the in in Aquaman, slight spoilers for Aquaman. Uh, Mira and Arthur at one point have to sail out in a boat. 
um, to get to this area that they need to get to, and they need to like dive down into the sea. And to do that, they need to fight their way past these like r- really well designed fish monster creatures. And this is the trench, and they need to battle through the trench to get to the place where the thing is and the person is, and it'll all be fine in the end. But these monsters are like it's a it's a, you know because it's James Wan. This is a genuinely like kind of really creepy five to ten minute section of the movie. And essentially, what they've done is gone. Oh, so they are our Annabelle. We've got our Conjuring franchise over here in the Aquaman movies, and we are going to do a spin-off called The Trench, which is going to be about this area of the ocean with weird fish monster creatures in. And I don't know, that sounds like the kind of fun I want people to be having in superhero universes. Just take a thing that you're interested in and and make a movie about it if you've got an idea. It does kind of sound fun. I I do trust James Wan because I think he's done just brilliant stuff with the the whole Conjuring expanded universe stuff. Like almost everything that's come out of that has been great. Um, I I caught up on all of the Conjuring movies over Christmas because that's what I do. <laughs> um, so I, I mean the the main Conjuring franchise is really strong. I think um, the first Annabelle movie I was a bit iffy on, but I thought the second. One I think the second one's better than the first one. Yeah, I've not seen the Nun. Yeah. No, I haven't yet. No, that wasn't that was not available for streaming, and I'm I'm best one in the world not going out to a cinema. <laughs> <laughs> But I tell you what, I think I'd go out and see The Trench. Because uh, you'd imagine James Wan probably won't direct it, it'll probably produce. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, you've got uh, David F. Sandberg directing Shazam, who did Lights Out. Um, I think one of their producers is pretty high up. I think Walter Hamada, who's one of their, like, higher honchos at, at DC mm-hmm. at the moment, had involvement with a lot of those James Wan horror movies. And I actually think, do you know what? If you're good at that and you know you're good at that and what you've created is this little creepy corner of the DC universe, have fun with it. And a horror movie set in the DCEU, fine. Definitely, with, particularly with a, um, a property like The Trench because The Trench are horrific creatures. The manky monster things that look like sort of the contents of a fishmonger sink trap and they're just minking yeah clawy slimy grabby horrible things and i would say that is absolute prime meat for a horror movie <laughs> All the well, yeah prime fish I um, <laughs> um and yeah and that's essentially what he did in annabelle isn't it he took a a character who in that first conjuring movie is like it's just a creepy mm. looking doll that has a five minute segment yeah. devoted to it and they've got and they've spun it out into two movies yeah he knows what he's doing yeah, I like James Wan, um, and yeah, uh, apparently this is going to come before an Aquaman two as well. But this is also what I want to see from the DCEU: be a bit more, be a bit more freewheeling. Just, you know? just let the films be their own thing and um, be based on the work of the people making them, rather than trying to fit in. Um, you know, it's it's what it's what we've we've said recently, isn't it? When, when we've talked about the overall strategy is just 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 let them all do their own thing some of which will succeed some of which might fail but it's better than the alternative because we've seen the yeah. alternative 
And Seb, you were saying, weren't you, in relation to uh, Birds of Prey, we were talking off mic, you'd seen a you'd seen a synopsis that said something along the lines of without <laughs> Batman in Gotham, crime has spiraled, and we're all like, and, and like. Do, do any of us need an explanation leading into Birds of Prey about why Batman is or isn't around? Just make a Birds yeah. of Prey movie. I think we're all fine yeah. with that. Um, I, I and I mean, I know, I know you guys talked about it on the podcast last week, but I, I'm pretty excited for that movie. I think every, the the first look that they gave us at it looked awesome. Um, this is this is what I want DC to be doing. Just throw caution to the wind. Make stuff that you've, if you if you've got a good script, make it. Um, and the trench and birds of prey certainly sounds more exciting to me than Man of Steel two and Justice League Part two and Suicide Squad two, mm. and even and even the Flash and Green Lanterns. To be honest with you, yeah, I don't know. Are they still doing the Flash? <laughs> it seems to be cursed. I think still in okay. development. Okay. I think, yeah. I mean, they've got. I mean, Ezra Miller was good. So, I, and you know, I, I, I probably would have said that about Aquaman before Aquaman turned up. Are they still doing Aquaman? Uh, yeah, turns out they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, not a huge amount of news this week, but some interesting news around the animated Marvel stuff and Aquaman. Um, but now we'll move on to our spoiler-filled discussion of. The 1999 movie Mystery Men. Let's take a listen to the trailer for that movie and we will be back digging into that in a moment. In a place called Champion City, the forces of good and evil. Captain Amazing, what a surprise. Are about to collide. Well, we've always been each other's greatest nemesis. It's a sigh. Nemesis. Nemesis. <laughs> Now, with the city's one true hero missing... Captain Amazing is in danger. Kaboom! Who will step forward... You again, wannabes. ...to answer the call of justice? Don't mess with the volcano, my man. Because I will go Pompeii on your... butt. Oh, golly. They've been waiting for this moment. The city's in peril, Lucille. All of their lives. Butch needs his vest back. Well, it's my vest, too. I bought it for him. But now that their time has come... I'm a superhero, too. What's his power? (laughs) They're going to need all the help they can get. You gotta find a lot of superheroes really quickly. State your name and power. PMS Avenger. I only work four days a month. Is there a problem with that? No. No. I am the Waffler. Waffler! Am I too late to try out? Sorry. You're in. Wow, my first mission and we're gonna rescue Captain Amazing. Here we go! Universal Pictures presents... We need to talk about your plans. I'm going to kill you. Right, that's the part that really doesn't work for me. A new league of heroes that step to a different beat. Well, I am a ticking time bomb of fury. I don't find you threatening at all. <laughs> Let's do some carnage. We're not your classic heroes. We're the other guys. Mystery Men. I'm invisible. Can you see me? Yes. Wow. Maybe you should put some shorts on or something if you want to keep fighting evil today. Okay, guys. 
Mystery Men. Um, now, I, 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 what, what I do want to dig into is this being technically an adaptation, but even through the Wikipedia page, I got very confused. It says, loosely based on Bob Burden's Flaming Carrot comics, and then I clicked onto that, and it was a Flaming Carrot, which I don't know why I was surprised, um, and I was like, okay, so how, what does this have to do with Mystery Men? And so I thought, do you know what? I'm not going to Google anymore. <laughs> Seven Hour will tell me. <laughs> See, I've never actually read any of the Bob Burden stuff. But I mean, the Mystery Men, all I, all I know about the Mystery Men is in the comics, they were a super team of which Flaming Carrot, who is a man with an enormous carrot for a head, like a six foot sized carrot for a head. Well, the carrot goes all the way yeah. down to his knees. In this picture on Wikipedia, yeah. anyway. Um, and the, he, I think they were in, like, there was a four issue series that Dark Horse put out, I seem to remember, at the time of the film coming out. And apart from that, I think they were pretty much just like supporting characters in the, in the Flaming yeah. Carrot comics. So. I mean, do we do we think this is an adaptation, or has someone taken the idea of? I mean, even by the standards of loose adaptations of indie comics that were going on in the kind of eighties and nineties, and that we talked about before with things like Turtles and Men in Black, yeah, this is even by those standards probably. From what I know, which the same as Al is very little of the original, I think this is the furthest. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, I mean, we we talked about this a bunch of times, but it is so bonkers what happened in the nineties with superhero cinema that Superman and Batman were your big hits prior to prior to the nineties, and the and and kind of where people went with that, or where Hollywood went with that, was Ninja Turtles was also a hit. So a lot of these indie mm. comics got made and then they went back to a lot of the pulp heroes as well. And then when they did actually adapt comic book characters, they kind of went for these niche ones on the edge that kind of like... I, I, yeah, so, you, so you get your, your the one, spawns the ones where and they steels could wave and a blades. And, people yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you got... I mean, you had, you had a lot of things That's, that were like... Um, you know, it was the Shadow. It was the Phantom. It was things like that. It was the Rocketeer. It was Dave Stevens' Rocketeer. Darkman. Yeah. And then mm. you had... Well, that was on the fringes. And like none of those were hits. But then you had things which did break through and were hits. The Mask was a huge hit, for example. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, course, yeah. Dark Horse, weirdly, had, I think, probably more... Um, superhero movies out in the 90s than any other company other than DC. I still don't understand how we never got that concrete movie in that period. Like, given that Paul Chadwick was, like, actively pushing for it and, and wrote versions of it and stuff, and it, and concrete was so big in terms Robert, of Dark Horse stuff. How did we not Robert get a Rodriguez is, Robert Rodriguez is Madman. How did that not ever happen? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah, so, so like Mike Mike Olred was he was pretty keen on yeah. the film out, wasn't he? They it? were really pushing yeah. it for a while and the rights got got um 
bought up by Robert Rodriguez and it just didn't happen for whatever reason. So I'm just looking on Wikipedia, the Dark Barb Wire that were adapted. So yeah, Barb Wire, Tank Girl, Mystery Mask, Man. Oh, in fact, I forgot Time Cop. In that case, then I think it possibly, they probably tie with DC there in that case. You had the four Batman movies and you had Steel. Did they have anything else from DC in the Mm. 90s? I forget. Uh, Not unless you count uh, a certain TV movie. Yeah. (laughs) But I guess you do have three Batman movies released in the 90s. Mm. Oh, yeah. I always forget that Batman, the first Batman's 89 rather than 1990. Yeah. In that case, yeah. then, in that case, then Dark Horse so. wins. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'm just looking again on the Wikipedia page. It says Flaming Carrot was a founding member of the blue collar superhero group, the Mystery Men, introduced in a flashback slash dream sequence in Flaming Carrot comics number 16. The story of the group was later made into the 1999 movie Mystery Men. The Flaming Carrot himself does not appear in the film. Although a handful of characters like Mr. Furious, the Shoveler, and Dr. Heller do. So there is there is some of this. But so basically it's a one issue story that the Mystery Men featured in, and that was what they chose to adapt, but they didn't adapt the character whose comic it actually was. Yes. Which yeah. understandably, he's a six foot <laughs> character. <laughs> um Okay, so that's that's the comic side of things. Um the other side of things that I want to kind of get into before we actually talk about the movie itself is um, uh, kind of the big stars of this movie and, and where they are career-wise um, and also your relationship to them. Um, and I think the obvious place to start is Ben Stiller, who plays Mr. Furious in this movie. Is it Mr. Mr. Furious, Furious. Mr. Furious? Either Furious. way, yeah. he's furious. Um, I kind of think... I. I, I I, I, I'm not sure whether many people realise they are, but I think a lot of people do tend to be Ben Stiller fans. Like you don't, you almost don't realise it, but you actually go, oh, do you know what? Yeah, I do. I do kind of like him most of the time. When I he really like it, Ben Stiller. I mean, I don't like every film he's in. Like you couldn't, you couldn't no, drag but, well, me to watch, di- you know, the kind of appearance kind of stuff. But you know, he has a hundred and twenty-five credits. He's been wonderful in things <laughs> like. Royal Tannenbaums. He's so incredible in Royal Tannenbaums. The bit where he said he just it turns and says, Dad, it's been a rough year. And just like in, you know, six words or whatever, just shatters your heart. Just beautiful, sad performance. And he's kind of kept up that streak with the, the stuff he's done later in his career. Yeah, exactly. Going back. Um, and so, and he does he does have those performances in him, and obviously interesting guy as a as a well, director cable as cable well. guy um, is massively underrated I think as a movie. I think cable guys reached the point where it's not underrated anymore because I think people appreciate it now. I hope so, but I mean, so he 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 directed Reality Bites, which is one of those you know, I had the, like defining Gen X movies. Zoolander, which was one of the biggest comedies of that year. Tropic Thunder, which I'm less keen on, was one of the biggest comedies of that year. And then weirdly, for for someone who's got like quite a good resume going into that, 
uh, Walter Mitty and Zoolander 2, both of which I could... Um, <laughs> although apparently Escape at Danamora, the TV series that he directed like all seven episodes of um, last year, is very good. So hmm. might have to track that down. But he's an interesting guy, Ben Stiller, isn't he? Hmm. I, I like that he's... You know, he. I mean, as as Al says, like he is actually capable of of breaking out of his shtick. But I like that he's got a shtick that he leans into with good humor. He's and, got a few and, sticks though, doesn't he? Well, yeah, but I'm thinking mainly of his angry, <laughs> shtick, which obviously in the in the, this is very much about leaning into. And I love uh, how he plays himself in Curb as well and things like that. You know, it's sort of yeah. It, you know, it's it's he's definitely on the side of knowing that he has that people have that perception of him and 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 not taking it too seriously and and leaning into it in a fun he way without it, it becoming irritating. I seem to remember him doing it in extras as well before extras got yeah. bad. Yeah, that, well, no, that was actually before extras got good because the first episode of extras, which was his one, wasn't very good. The, oh, the sec- really? Was the that second, the very first? The very first wow. one. Yeah, the second episode of extras is the first decent one. <laughs> I remember that at the time. <laughs> there we go. I, I, I think it's a great shame that we never got um, a, a Justice League international movie with with Ben Stiller as Blue Beetle and Owen Wilson. <laughs> that would have been great. I'd love to see that. I mean, I, yeah, in in like two thousand and two, two thousand and three, right? Yeah, yeah, in yeah, yeah. in the two thousands, <laughs> around about the same time that they weren't doing a Ghostbusters movie together. <laughs> but as as so as Mister Furious here, for me, the the closest parallel is his friends character. Are you both familiar <laughs> with his cameo? His yes, cameo which again, friends? which again is him doing that shtick very the very screamer. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> where he's just just an asshole and scream and screams in people's faces, which is I mean that that is is a very good episode of Friends, um, and yeah, and and I I think this this era of Stiller, something about Mary is nineteen ninety eight, which I mean, I love that movie um, for, for for all of the the weird stories that have come out about. Um, Peter Farrelly getting his dick out in front of his uh, leading leading ladies, uh, as we found out around the release of Green Book. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, but but uh, but good gross out comedy. Um, Brett Favre stars in it. Fantastic. Um, and then you've got like yeah, a, cu- a couple of years after this, he's doing as I said Zoolander and the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, at, and Seb, you mentioned it. I think the first Meet the Parents is around here as well. Um, but I kind of feel like Mystery Men gets a little bit forgotten. Mm. Well, because nobody yeah. went to see it. There is that. <laughs> yeah, but even so, but even so, nobody went to see it. But I feel like no, it, it's not really, it's not really talked about now. And given that it's a comedy, it came at the wrong time. But it's but but uh, what I'm I guess what I'm saying is. I'm surprised it hasn't become more of a cult film than mm. it has. I think it's got a bit of a reputation, but it's not like it turned into Wet Hot America. I think it's partly because it doesn't and... look like what people love now. It doesn't look anything like the superhero movies that became big. It doesn't look like X-Men. Yeah. It doesn't look like the Raimi Spider-Man stuff. It looks like Batman and thing, Robin. Yeah, it's a... it, yeah, and it very yeah. deliberately looks like Batman and Robin, and I, and I think it does that superbly. Um, but the problem is, yeah, it's coming out two years after Batman and Robin, and two years after Batman and Robin, like, is is two years after the brief five minute period where a few people liked Batman and Robin. Um, 
and and before the period nowadays where actually a lot of people say they like Batman and Robin. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's a it's a not a, is it a parody? Can you call it? I never really like the word parody because that implies a certain type of humor, which I don't think this is totally doing because it's it is telling a story and it has. Yeah, it's not like a scary movie or so, whatever. Yeah, exactly. So it's a superhero comedy, um, but it's a superhero comedy two years after we're not counting Blade, um, you know, the last major superhero movie and a year before the next one that will be in any way successful, which will also kickstart changing the rules for what these movies are and what they look like and what they do. So, yeah, it's it's really caught in mm. that limbo period. But this is why I said on Twitter that I could completely imagine the exact same cast doing a post-MCU-styled sequel yeah. today. Yeah, I mean, it's not... You're right, it's not a parody, but I think it is a pastiche. Certainly, and we'll come on, mm. I'm sure, to talk about some of these moments, but there are certainly tropes of superhero storytelling that get dissected very, mm. you know, very funnily. A good... Um, I, th- I think a good comparison, I'm, I'm sorry to keep referencing it on episodes, but... I know it's the, what you're going to say. Yeah, it's the Red Dwarf thing. Red Dwarf is not a parody of science fiction, but oh, it no, is a pastiche to it. What, did, oh, okay. what did you think he was going to say? I thought Seb was going to bring up The Tick again, which we've oh, got okay. quite a bit recently. And it's got t- a, I mean, this, very good. this absolutely lives in the same arena yeah. as The Tick. I have 100%. to say... When, and not just because it's based on an When we get to the recommendations, <laughs> the only bit reason why I didn't pick a Tick series is because you can't get it digitally at all for <laughs> love and <or> money. <laughs> well, I mean, this actually... I, I would say the thing this reminded me of was actually the Patrick Warburton Tick series more mm. than more than the, the new Peter Serafinovich. It's uh, very the like movies. the comics, um, to be honest with you. It's very, and it's very like the cartoon in that it's stuffed with a hundred tiny rubbish superheroes. Like, because not everyone is going to yeah. be Wolverine. Some of them have to be Speedball. <laughs> so you, I'll uh, get you speedball Brought to you by. <laughs> I wonder whether that was Al's way of telling us that he loves all of the characters in this movie. <laughs> well, that's also true. But <laughs> should, we, uh, should we go through the main team? Uh, so we start off with, with kind of a core trio of... Uh, ben Stiller, as we've already uh, mentioned, plays Mr. Furious. His superpower is that he gets angry and then theoretically unleashes fury. Uh, so kind of like an Incredible Hulk kind of figure, except he just Yeah, he doesn't get strong. And... He just gets angry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He just gets I angry. love the running thing of the legendary story of him lifting a bus when he was angry and then what that ultimately mm-hmm. turns out to be. And it's like he slightly pushed a bus while the guy had his foot on the accelerator. <laughs> so that's so that's Ben Stiller's character, Furious. We've then got William H. Macy as the shoveler. Um, at, at kind of... Even even by the standards of William H. Macy, is this William H. Macy's most likeable <laughs> He's a very William H. Macy character, isn't he? He's this incredibly mellow, sanguine guy who puts up with a lot of nonsense. Mm. And I would say that the, the spectrum of those William H. Macy characters is he can either be, in that mellow and sanguine mode, he can be really kind of like... I, I bet the best way to describe this is a proper mode, <laughs> right? <laughs> like in in Fargo mode, and but he oh, is awful Fargo, in Fargo. He's just, I, I, like he's know, he's good. I, yeah. But what I mean is, he's good at being yeah, an awful I mean, person. I, mean, I think he's. Yeah, his his performance in Fargo, uh, I might go so far as to say, is somewhere in like my top ten favorite 
performances in anything. <laughs> it's just just the way he is for the entire film on a permanent knife mm. edge of anxiety. And it just makes you anxious to look at him in that film. And in this film, he's the complete opposite of that. He's, he's just a he salt of the earth blow, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. He's just a... Re- he's got, I mean, he's got that moustache. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like... Th- I, I mean, and I think everything they set up around the character is just to be like, do you know what? This guy is just a nice, good guy. There's, there's probably not much personality to him, but like everything about him is good without trying to like show that he's a good guy. He doesn't have um, a No, not in this film. Sorry. Just got to pick oh, you up I, on that one. <laughs> have I just completely uh, added a moustache to him? <laughs> you have completely added a moustache to him that he doesn't have, yeah. Oh, maybe it's because I looked at his IMDb <laughs> moustache right there. Um, he, he, but he yeah, takes so it off when he transforms. And basically his... <laughs> I love that his power is that he... As he explains to his wife, who, by the way, I, like, I, I think the film is using the fact that he has a black wife and mixed race children as another one of like, oh, isn't he a good guy? And I think that's kind of like weird 90s shorthand yeah. as well. There's And there's a cup, there's a bit of that mm. in this movie. Uh, kind of retrograde comedy stuff that you probably can't get past in any comedy from the 90s, but yeah, it's in there. Um, but yeah, I love that he's explaining to his wife that he's like, aren't I, aren't I great at <laughs> shoveling? She's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're really good. I, I've just got a talent for it, don't I? She's like, yeah, really, really good at shoveling. So I have to use that talent. She's like, but to fight yeah. crime. What, what he's just I? so like he knows that this is his calling, and he's not dramatic about it. He's just like, God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. It's just you're so sweet. Like, just want to give you a big cuddle. <laughs> oh, that so. speech about the egg mayonnaise sandwich. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the, rou- the the rousing speech that yeah. pulls everyone together about an egg mayonnaise sandwich. Um, so yeah, Mr. Furious, the shoveler, and then you have Blue Raja, uh, played by Hank Azaria, who mm. is a guy who I'm a superhero. He's just he's just lovely. This is the thing about this film: is everyone's just lovely, and you know, well, apart from one or two characters, but and yeah, I I I, I think. Possibly he's my favourite character in it, actually. Um, because it's just, you know, he really is someone who has, like, he is, dis, you know, with the shoveler, it's like, I'm a good shoveler, so I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to use this talent to fight crime and base my identity around it. And with him, it's just, I've decided I want to be a superhero. I've decided to come up with a gimmick. It's a gimmick that nobody understands, and I have to explain it to people all the time. But I'm sticking with it anyway because it's my gimmick. It feels like the kind of that, like the kind of persona that he has like scribbled down on a little pad when he was seven years old, and has <laughs> never moved away from that initial idea. So there's that scene where they're saying to him. What, but you're the you're the blue Raja. What does that have to do with forks? Couldn't you throw other things like knives? And he's like, and why no, isn't there I'd any blue forks. in your costume? Yeah. Why isn't there any blue in your costume? He's like, because there isn't. <laughs> um, and, and the whole thing with his relationship with his mum, yeah, it's just it's just great. And the brilliance of the reveal there that whilst the others that that is them that this is yeah this is entirely a character <laughs> that he's constructed and he doesn't talk like that which of course he wouldn't but 
in the re- I, I guess that that's the the thing about constructing a film in this kind of reality mm-hmm. where a, a character that we're going to come on to is throwing around a bowling ball that has her father's skull embedded into it and also by extension his spirit um it's a ghost rider ball essentially um and and <laughs> so you kind of you're kind of like okay yes yeah, so that is the blue raja and then but then when you get the reveal that oh no he's just a dorky american guy who is affecting love, this whole thing randomly wearing a turban i love that his mom is so corks. supportive of him when she finds out though like it's so nice and yeah. she's, he's like <laughs> yeah. your son is a superhero mother and defeat british superhero <laughs> Your son is a limey fork <laughs> flinger. <laughs> so good. So there are call three at the start of the movie, um, and they come into contact very early on. So there's a there's a sequence where, and I, I, I like the way the movie introduces them. The three of them kind of are introduced in kind of proper hero shots. So like Hank Azaria flings a fork and it goes into the cake in someone's mouth. And then the shoveler comes down and I, I think does successfully hit someone with a shovel. And then th- we get a close-up of Ben Stiller getting angry. And then Ben Stiller falls in his face. And it turns out that the event they're at, that they are trying to stop these, like... I, I don't even know who they are. Like, weird little mole people. It's a very it's a very Burton Batman universe. Schumacher Batman, actually, probably more accurately. It is, it is um, yeah. I mean, there's, there are definitely elements of... Of the Burton in terms of some of the bits through the streets, but it's very yeah. They've looked at the the Schumacher evolution of that Gotham. Yeah, and then but and, and very quickly though, we find out that no, actually these guys are shit. Mm. <laughs> they they are they are three guys playing at being superheroes rather than actually superheroes. And here's the twist: there actually is a proper superhero, um, and it is Captain Amazing, and he's played by Greg Kinnear. And again, a guy with a fascinating career. I feel like Greg Kinnear is so handsome that he should have been a legitimate box office star leading man Mm. for 20 Mm. years. Yeah, he also absolutely should have been an actual non-comedy superhero at some point. (laughs) Yeah, and instead he became character actor Greg Kinnear. Um, But here he is as Captain Amazing, uh, and he comes in and saves the day at the start. Um... And I guess does he kind of turn into like the MacGuffin of the movie for a while? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's something kind of there's something quite particular about uh, Captain Amazing that I that I did want to pick up on actually, which is, and I, I kind of put this question out there on Twitter because I believe it's the case, and I would be interested for anyone to correct me if there are earlier examples of this. And I don't know, Al, if you no, I was thinking about this, but this I can't think not. of it. Yeah, I think this is the first time anyone had put forward the idea of a superhero wearing sponsor logos on his costume like a racing driver. Yeah. And that is brilliant. If this film gave nothing else to the genre, that is brilliant. And then, you know, DC had obviously had Booster Gold, and Booster Gold had had corporate sponsors, and that was part of his whole shtick, but never on his costume. And then in 52, uh, he does, and, uh, you know, it's it, it's it becomes a kind of quite prominent plot part in places. 
And it's just, it's such a great idea. It absolutely makes sense in a superhero universe, especially one, you know, that you're trying to sort of relate to to how the world really is, which Mystery Men, obviously, while it is in this very cartoonish world, it is also, here's a bunch of ordinary people who've decided to be superheroes. Absolutely makes sense that not only would a superhero be a commercial enterprise, but that they would wear logos all over them. It's great. It's a brilliant touch. I love the costume. I love pretty much everything about that character and performance in the film because I love how he successfully plays the charming likeable superhero persona and also the utter dickhead yeah because like the the real Captain Amazing once you get to see him out of the limelight is basically this kind Mm. of Alan Partridge kind of character like who just (laughs) he's so vain and he's so shallow and he (laughs) is so convinced that he's cleverer than everybody else. It feels so partridge to me. Yeah. And that, of course, gets him into enormous difficulty because he, what he wants to do, like the, the, the scene where he goes to fight Casanova Frankenstein, because Casanova Frankenstein, played by Jeffrey mm-hmm. Rush, who is the, the main villain in the movie. And by the way, it's, what it's great. Name? Yes, I love that um, name. <laughs> what an everything. But um, it reminds me, there's a, a terrific comic called Black Hammer, and one of the, the villains in that is called Sherlock Frankenstein, which is, is just as good, I think. But um, <laughs> Casanova Frankenstein has been essentially busted out of prison by Captain Amazing because, because yeah, of yeah. the fact that he doesn't have any villains left to fight because he's too good at it. It's a, and he's and because he doesn't have the sponsors are dropping fight, off. He's yeah. losing his sponsorship deals because and that's yeah, what's no, important no, to him. He doesn't really care about the city or the people yeah. or anything like that. What he cares about is looking good and making money. Hmm. Now, what I would say is, and this is zero fault of the movie, but quite a lot of those individual aspects that we've just talked about about Captain Amazing. I actually think now in 2019 feels super played out. In in those 20 years in between and just in the in the superhero pop culture that I've interacted with either screen or comics, mm. a lot a lot of indie comics kind of stuff. I feel I feel like that's the kind of stuff that I'm encountering a lot. What if Superman but the real world and what if what if superhero but commercialized mm. and cynical and I I I feel like all of those things that we've just said I've seen pop up, maybe not all yeah, amalgamated fair. together, but I've seen them pop up loads of times. I don't think that's anything to criticize. This was only Men for, but this was only two years it, before Ecstatics, get... for example, and not much longer after that. You got things like uh, Joe Casey's uh, The Intimates and things like that. You know, you had a lot of superheroes as celebrities that kind of came out around the same sort of five year period. Yeah. But it, that was also a time we have to remember when culturally we were moving into a world where there was a lot of emphasis placed on talent show stuff, which was, you know, we were just getting the f- first wave of Big yeah. Brother in 2000. You were getting um, Pop Idol and uh, things like that. Pop stars. Pop yeah, stars well, yeah. <laughs> pop, I think it was Pop Idol not first. Uh, I think Pop I'm Stars not sure, was first. I'm because it had... I think pop stars was first, and we got here because we got oh, Darius. Okay. <laughs> I remember. Well, Darius was Darius, on, yeah, no, yeah, was pop, pop idol stars was Darius's and second. Was that where it came from? Pop, okay, yeah. but yeah, it it was it was pop stars then. See, the I, f- was, then pop I feel idol, very bad now because I was yeah. I was at school with Darius. <laughs> so. I, 
I'm also, <laughs> yeah. oh God, wow. <laughs> I, I'm very sorry to our American listeners for the sorry. past 30 seconds. And also very sorry that most of these concepts got transported over to you and took over your television for <laughs> the yeah. next 20 to... But it's where we started well, getting into the world that we have now of, you know, America's got talents, American idols kind of stuff. Um, where you know your your linchpins of Saturday night TV in the UK and whatever night I don't know what it is in the US, but it's talent show stuff and it's how do I get to be successful? I get to be successful by becoming famous. And what do I become famous for? Doesn't really matter. Just make me famous, make me successful, and that's where you you got a lot of comics tapping into that same sort of celebrity worship thing where there was a lot of kind of vapidity and nothing really underneath it. Um, but the, the kind of Captain Amazing thing at the time felt very fresh. Yeah, no, I I would agree. It was just it did just occur to me as I was watching it, like we've done a lot of this now, um, and 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 maybe that's you know maybe that's another reason why this movie hasn't uh, you know hasn't attracted. Well, at the time, it feels like it's playing with a lot of concepts that maybe weren't hugely in the in in the. Oh, I think that. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Captain Amazing specifically um, isn't really, because it predates all that kind of pop idol kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. Captain Amazing is more like a NASCAR driver. 
essentially. You know, they're, they're big yeah. celebrities and there's a lot of um, sponsorship of the individual goes on. Yeah, and so he, as we said, break well, yeah, is instrumental in the release of Casanova Frankenstein in his guise as Lance, who is a billionaire in, uh, is it called yeah. Champion City? I think yeah. this is set in. Um, and Lance, the the one character uh, who thinks that Lance is actually Captain Amazing is Mr. <laughs> Furious, which is perfect because he's uh, Mr. Furious is right about nothing. <laughs> and he's he's literally not even right about his own powers. So um, it's kind of great that he's just like yeah, straightforward. I do, it's I do like How the running no thing of, of the shoveler like <laughs> not believing it and then trying to figure it out. It's genuinely it out. my favorite line in the entire film. Is it doesn't make sense. Lance Hunt wears glasses. Captain Amazing doesn't wear glasses. He takes them off when he transforms. But that doesn't make sense. He wouldn't be able to see. Just a peach. Absolutely beautiful line. Love it. Yeah. So well delivered. I, I like the way... I like the way speaking of Lance as well that there is this sort of they they very much kind of play up this this Batman and Joker thing with him with him and and Casanova and this they both need each other relationship like it's I think for for Captain Amazing it is dressed up as a, oh he needs him to fight because he you know needs the sponsorship and stuff but actually also I think there is definitely an element of he enjoys it and the way that Casanova a knows that he's Lance Hunt um, and there's like just that little thing between them of yeah of course I know your secret identity I know that was you there getting me let out of prison and secondly that little I'm, I am jumping kind of ahead here but the little moment when Casanova realises that Captain Amazing has been killed and you realise that it was never his intent for him to yeah. ever be killed <laughs> by the machine and then he has yeah. to kind of put a front mm. on it but yeah, yeah. which is uh, uh, an amazing twist in the middle of the movie where yeah it, it is classic super villainy isn't it like uh, and i actually think casanova frankenstein jeffrey rush plays him quite straight it's hammy but it's it, I, I wouldn't I say mean, it's yeah, particularly could... more it's not that much more hammy than a lot of actual i was gonna say villains. you you could absolutely drop him into any of the 90s batman films uh or indeed batman 66 and and he would fit <laughs> Um, and and yeah, so uh, so you've got you've got Casanova Frankenstein who has yeah captured Captain Amazing and the 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 thrust of the, at least the front half of the movie is how do we save him? And the mystery men turn up, pull the wrong levers, accidentally kill him, and yeah, Casanova Frankenstein is like oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> my that, like the whole that's it's not fun anymore. <laughs> Um, yeah, is is a lovely little twist in the middle of the movie, um, and yeah, uh, and and as I say, Jeffrey Rush playing it pretty straight, and I I love some of the again, you dropped quite a quite a lot of Sorry. lines already out. I just love stuff like I love stuff like um, in that parole hearing, he refers to all of the doctors as I think sons of Hippocrates, <laughs> which is just a lovely bit of like purple prose, isn't it for for a. For a comic book villain, um, yeah. Um, is that the secret? Is the secret of this movie that amongst the main cast, everyone's pretty good? Yeah, yeah. There's not. There's not. No one. No one really dropping the ball. 
I mean, maybe apart from Eddie Izzard <laughs> doing doing his American accent that he inexplicably kept getting work doing. And I love Eddie Izzard, but why do American movies keep casting Eddie Izzard as Americans? Yeah. He's sometimes a little bit better. It's TV stuff he's better doing an American accent. Mockingbird yeah. Lane, he was pretty good. Well, well he's yeah, had enough practice by now, hasn't he? So, I, I think yeah. the difficulty that's... Yeah, I, think, I think the last thing I saw him in was Hannibal mm-hmm. doing that. I mean, around about this point, he comes across like in his shows from the 90s where he would be doing jokey American yeah. accents to enact bits of films that he's made. Yeah, up his, his American accent's so. about as good as his James Mason. Exactly. Um, I think the only problem with some of the other people who are in the film is that their characters are a little underwritten. Like, it's a thankless task being Kel Mitchell in this movie. Kel Mitchell plays, is it the Invisible Kid or something <laughs> like that? And he can, yeah, he can invisible only go boy, invisible yeah. when nobody is watching him and he has to take all his clothes off to do it. And that's pretty much the only joke. And and there's not yeah. really much to it beyond that. Well, uh, so amongst the Mystery Men, there are, there are two tiers. There are our original three. And they go off and try and save the day and pretty much fall flat on their face straight away. And they decide that, well, I mean, what is it? Um, Mr. Furious wants to invest money in PR, which actually I don't think would have been a bad idea. Uh, but the they decide, no, instead what they're going to do is go out and recruit more heroes so they can actually be helpful um, and, and try and go and save um, Captain Amazing. So... We have, I'll be honest, my by far least favourite sequence of the movie where they audition lots of new superheroes. And that's where you get quite a lot of that retrograde 90s comedy. So, like, there is a guy that turns up and he looks dark and mysterious. And actually, he's wearing a tutu and he's and he does some ballet. And that's funny because... Gay? Is that the punchline there? And then there is... There is some, uh, I mean, there's Dane Cook, which is the immediate thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um, and there's also um, a couple of uh, female superheroes who turn up both wearing Wonder Woman-esque cartoon, uh, costumes and they get into it like a cat fight and everyone loves it. And then there is also uh, a woman who turns up and is the, um, like, the, the, something like the PMS warrior. And yeah. so she can she can only fight four days a month, and mm. yeah, all all of that stuff. I was kind of like, oh, this hasn't no, aged. Does well not also have is it like Toast Man and Son of Toast Man or whatever it is? No, it is Pencilhead, Pencilhead son. and Son of Pencilhead, who are absolutely the highlight of the sequence. I was going to say I did, that is a good gag because it's the way he says it, you the expect that the sidekick, yeah, yeah, you expect the sidekick will be called something else, like like that it might be you know Pencilhead and Eraserhead or something like that, and the fact that it's Pencilhead and Son of Pencilhead, yeah, that that's good. a good joke. And delightfully, Pencilhead is played by Doug Jones. Doug Jones, um, yeah. Of, uh, I guess, most recently, uh, Shape of Water yeah. and Star Trek Discovery. I, I'd be which curious. Which is fantastic in. It's been several years since I did it. I've referred to it on here before. Um, the the league table of of actors in movies based on comic books. There've basically been too many now for me to ever have the time to tot it up again after doing so. I think like 
oh, I can't even remember what year it was. Like 2013, maybe, was like the last time was, I did it. It was um, pre this podcast. Yes, it was. Um, but Doug Jones, because the scoring was based on multiplying number of roles by number of films, so you got more points if you'd played five different characters in five different films than you did if you'd played the oh, same okay. character in five films. Even at that point, I think Chris Evans was second, uh, but Doug Jones was run away at the top. Sam um, Jackson must have been high up as well. Uh, yeah, quite high because of the number of times he's played Nick Fury multiplied by a couple of additional roles elsewhere. So, yeah, he's he was very much up there. But as I say, I could look at what it was, but it, it's so out of date now. I think Chris Evans could well, well be Well, yeah, and they have Snowpiercer as well for giving him another role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, never, but yes, never, Doug, Doug Jones, mainstay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, mainstay of comic book movies, despite a lot of people not being able to pick him out of a lineup. And yet we have yet. I mean, you I could mean, pick him out of a lineup. We've if yet it was to get the, the yes, role that he was born to, not born to play, but that he could so amazingly play, which is like there's never been a John Waters biopic starring Doug Jones, which would be would he <laughs> oh, not be perfect? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <that'd> be incredible. <laughs> um. Okay, so yeah, so it's, it's getting back to the team. So the first person they recruit is, uh, as you mentioned, Al, Kel Mitchell as Invisible Boy. This is, and this movie came out during Keenan and Kel being on the air, um, which I don't know about you guys, I was obsessed with as a kid. It was like, it was my favourite show. Bear in mind, I was 19 um, when this movie came out, so it was a little bit after my time. <laughs> Uh, perfect. I, I was uh, <laughs> ten. Um, yeah, and I and I loved Keenan and Kel. Although I didn't see this movie at the time, I watched it for the first time a year or so ago. I bet you saw Good Burger. Uh, I did see Good Burger. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I I watched this movie, and to begin with, I didn't clock that it was Kel the first time around. Anyway, because I was like, oh, uh, late nineties, uh, young black comedian blondish hair that's probably cisco right because he was he was in a bunch of those teen comedies um but no it's cal and you're right he doesn't really get anything to do Mm. there is a there is a a gag later on in the film uh stereotyping the size of his genitalia uh which is another bit of Mm. 90s humor yeah but again his character is basically just he's nice yeah and then I mean, I, I do like Shoveler the is nice to him. The, He's the like, pay- "Oh, you'll get your moment. You don't. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> fine. You'll get your moment. Hang in there, buddy." And he- but the the payoff that his power is actually true, and it actually there actually proves to be because the whole gag is there. Even if that was true, there is no circumstance in which it would ever possibly be useful. And then it turns out a yes. to be true, and b to be useful in a very specific circumstance. I think that's I think that's the good twist because honestly, I don't know what you would have done with that character if his power wasn't real. Because otherwise, what what is the payoff? So I, I fully expected it to be real, but you're right. I, it's kind of the, the gag is, and we found that specific circumstance where you. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the general moral of the film is that you might be laughed at by other people, and you may even suspect yourself that you're no good, but probably you actually have a moment where you're going to shine. You have value in and of yourself. You know, just just kind of yeah. find your crowd, find your people, 
and support each other, lift each other up, and you actually probably can do more than you think you can do. And I think that's the the great message that comes through the movie. And that that plays out in yeah, you can you can kill the greatest yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. In <laughs> fairness, there is you may make one or two slips along the way. You may accidentally murder a man and turn his entire think, face literally inside out. But you know, <laughs> I think the movie does a good enough job of placing the blame for that at Captain mm-hmm. Amazing's feet. Yeah, because all its instructions is like, keep you cool, yeah. buddy. Deliver the instructions calmly. Yeah. You'll be fine. <laughs> Um, so the next member of the team they recruit is Spleen, played by Paul Rubens, who kind of, they, they're they already aware of his existence and have purposely not invited him in because he's gross. Yeah, I mean, Paul Rubens, your, your cult actor's cult actor, really. <laughs> I mean... Uh, this int- a really interesting point in Before he really had been re- rehabilitated. So, obviously, this is one of his first... Yeah. So he had his scandal early 90s, didn't he? So yeah. Pee-wee's Playhouse is running through to 1990. Um, and then he he had his cameo in Batman Returns, 92. And then really, 92 to 99, it's lots of like... It's lots of small roles in, in projects. Um, he appeared in, according to this, six episodes of Murphy Brown. And this is... Yeah, I think this is really his first larger role since mm. the scandal which in retrospect you know in in modern day scandal terms i was <laughs> the dude the dude jerked it at a porno i was going to say like this is one of these things where i don't know what the kind of the the general consensus is on on that scandal in inverted commas and it's you know i don't know what the specific legal rules were at this particular theatre or in this particular place where he was because it's America so laws can be very different from place to place but it it does kind of raise the question of if people aren't allowed to do that in there what is it there for? Uh, Fred Willard got caught for the same thing didn't he like yeah. about five or six years ago. Um, I, I mean you know I don't, I I'm not going to say I approve of that behaviour but and I don't understand anyone who would go to a public place in order to do that but it is certainly not I understand of, it more you know. in 1990 than I do in 2017 <laughs> or whatever when Fred Willard got caught, but still. Um, and yeah, I think the problem for Rubens was more that I think in a lot of people's eyes, he was yeah. just Pee Wee. Yeah. And so for Pee Wee to be. And caught, he was still doing that job, wasn't he? He hadn't kind of moved on yeah. from the character. So. And then you've got. Uh, and then I think you've got a pretty famous mugshot of him as an actual bloke who looks a little bit. You know, looks so far removed from this weird character that he has honed. And I, th- I, th- I, think I think there people were people just probably... rejected the idea of him. Yeah, I think there were a lot of people who would have been willing to believe slash not surprised if worse stuff came out about him. Uh, I mean, as far as I'm aware, like nothing else has, has no. it? Like, uh, I mean, not, and not there's, that I'm aware. It's the kind uh, of a general view nowadays is the not that there was a largely a kind of a setup element to it as well. Like there was an intention really? to take a scalp, basically. Oh no, there was a, there was another scandal in two thousand and two about uh, images oh, being okay. found, but uh, it was to do with he had collected uh, materials. Uh, I don't know. It's one of these complex ones. I don't think it was. Yeah, 
But there was a there was another thing with him after that. But I think it's a bit of a grey area one. Because it was got... it was basically he collected loads of old magazines and like had bought massive collections of stuff and memorabilia. Um and among that was stuff that Yeah. Yeah. But he is in this movie. This is kind of in a way his comeback vehicle. And Spleen's whole stick is that he is horrible and gross and creepy and he's got these big yellow heads on his face and his superpower is explained as uh, I think he describes it when he was a teenager he cut the cheese and tried to blame it on an old woman that was going past but she was like a gypsy witch and she cursed him to have the most pungent farts in the world basically and so now if someone pulls his finger he can unleash basically toxic war warfare out of his rectum i mean i've got to say he's probably the character i mean not denying his ability to play an incredibly gr- gross character and grotesque character very well i think he's the character i could do without <laughs> in the film <laughs> i think rubens is very good but I think he's yeah. too gross. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's very good at being gross, and it's to the detriment of the film. <laughs> it's too gross. They went too far with it, and it's genuinely a little bit uncomfortable anytime he's around. Hmm. And not just when he is unleashing stinks, just by being All, Also when he's creeping on uh, the bowler as well. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's your take I on Spleen, Al? I don't mind him. I mean... I, I, Rubens is a very, um, he holds the screen, you know, he's a very large than life actor. And I think that you can brazen through quite a lot of stuff if you're like that. You can get through the fact that your character's entire thing is just he does big smelly farts. Why is this movie, why was it not a big hit? <laughs> I don't know. It had everything that made 1999 funny. <laughs> it had Smash Mouth. Uh, no, it all started by Smash Mouth. Yes, yes which was the that was the national anthem we, of America. Can we talk Back about that? All Star was in what three films at least? But so I, well, this I, was the I, first I, one, I think, because this yeah, was the year it, it came out. And this, uh, t- if IMDb is um, steering me correctly here, Mystery Men formed the video. Yes. For that, you yes, know when it did, yes, yeah. yeah. Well, it used to I, be I, on MTV too all the time. God, I, I mean, that is one of the worst songs ever recorded. Right? No, I think you'll find it's nah. actually awesome. <laughs> oh well, I would, I would say I'm I don't think it's actually awesome. I, I do I like he... it. Like it's no walking on the sun, <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> you know. No, it's that's, no, that's, it's no the fawns. I've run out of Smash Mouth songs. I know. It's... <laughs> you 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 knew one more than me. <laughs> you, um, you both knew two more than me. It's got it's developed this reputation. I mean, it's become mm. a meme, uh, and obviously, like I, the way it's been used for YouTube shit posts and stuff. I mean, the B movie Seinfeld <laughs> thing is is one of the most ridiculous and incredible things I've ever seen on the internet. Uh, which, if if you haven't seen it, um, it's all star. But every every word is someone saying the word B 
<laughs> B movie, and the backing track is the bum 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 from Seinfeld. Uh, it's it's <laughs> I can't believe it exists, but it's actually and I, I enjoy annoying people by putting it in their heads by just saying somebody and also I'm sorry but this podcast is going to have opened right, so you, you'll all be stuck with it in your heads oh over the course of it. But it's really not. I like. I genuinely like it. I yeah. like the bit. I like the bit where no, he goes. It, oh, it's, we can. I, I think it's a not good record, guys. Like that. <laughs> I. I was into pop punk in this period, and I can't get like I I I can I could listen to a bit of Weezer if I needed to. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't fuck off. But I could I could listen. I mean, as I, I in terms of movies this. that came out it's... around this time using pop punk songs, it's no Titan A using "Over My Head" by Lit. Put it that way. Wow. I was, you know, Lit was the comparison I was just about to make. It's like, where does Smash Mouth and Lit sit? In well, Smash Mouth were definitely more successful than Lit. I suppose my own worst enemy is probably better than um, the, than All Star, but I think the it's a problem, close run thing. The problem with All Star is that it starts off from a base level of not being very good, and then it was so, so chronically overused. Uh, just in film, just in film was so badly overused. I mean, I I, I think you can blame definitely Shrek for its over prominence. I mean, it's, it's, it didn't grow to be I a meme. Can lay this yeah, it didn't grow to be a meme because of Rat Race, you know. <laughs> Don't doesn't Rat Race? Yes, yeah, Smash Mouth play All Star at a concert, concert at the end of Rat Race. Yes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> What, uh, by the way, I saw Rat Race in cinemas and... Wow. <laughs> you and three other people? <laughs> you know... No, it so made, I'm it's... just looking it up. It made more money than Mystery Man. <laughs> that is... You know you know when you reach that point in life where you start seeing movies and actually acknowledge that, oh, wait, I didn't enjoy that and it wasn't good. Because there's a, you, you reach, there's a certain age at which seeing a movie is a joy in and of itself. You don't recognise that things are bad. I went to see Star Wars The Phantom Menace when I was 10 years old and found a thing that I'd written for school that said, like, oh, I really enjoyed it and I liked the bit with that and liked the bit with that. I have no memory of enjoying that film. I've never really liked Star Wars, but apparently I just enjoyed my day out at the cinema because my uncle took me and bought me popcorn. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Rat Race I saw when I was yeah twelve years old in cinemas and went, oh god no, that was horrible. <laughs> and it ended with mm. Smash Mouth. So uh, yeah, that that was the <laughs> that was the Smash Mouth All Star detour of this podcast. Um, I'm gonna play it <laughs> while we were talking about it. Because I mean. I will never hear that, but our listeners may <laughs> all unsubscribe from their feeds. <laughs> um, so uh, the the final main member of the team, anyway, who gets actually recruited at the end of that audition sequence is uh, the bowler, played by Janine Garofalo, who again probably is this is this kind of Janine Garofalo at peak mm. late nineties. I, I mean, this is this is Janine Garofalo at her most Janine Garofalo ish, isn't it? It's just you know, she shows up and does pretty much everything you would want Janine Garofalo to do, which is you know just be enjoyably mm. sarcastic. So she's she's two years off of the Larry Sanders show ending at this point. 
Um, and yeah, and I'm just like, she, she, uh, her last credit before this was Dogma. Um, Wet Hot American Summer is a, is a couple of summers later. Um, oh, and just a year before her cameo in The Sopranos as Janine Garofalo. Which I have to say, I did. This is the first um, thing I'd ever seen Janine Garofalo in. And I did have a bit of a crush on her after this film. I gotta say, well, uh, yeah, who does? Well, not 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 now. <laughs> this, you know, that she, I, now if, that she's if he was here. Just... This seems like prime James <laughs> crush as well. She's a, a, a little bit gothy, a little bit. She's fun and wisecracking. She's also like the the best. I know it's not her that has a superpower; it's the bowling ball. But she's the best one of them, isn't she? She's. This is the trend we find that when when movies do that token, we have one female hero. They do tend to allow them to be mm-hmm. pretty good, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get it. I think she's great. Uh, totally. Uh, the only other thing I would say about it is that um, if there are any, um, particularly probably British, parents of small children who don't think of her as Janine the Gruffalo, then... I uh, sorry, but you do now. Yep, but I do now. <laughs> um. So yeah, the bowlers deal. As I, I think I said already, her her dad was killed. What was it? He fell <laughs> Onto down some an elevator shaft. <laughs> Onto some bullets. <laughs> and as we find out, not long after, Eddie Azard was the one responsible mm. for killing her dad. Um. And yeah, she had his head put inside a bowling ball because he was uh, mm-hmm. Carmine the bowler uh, so she put his skull in a bowling ball and yet it is now like this possessed ghost rider bowling ball um, out for vengeance against the people that killed him so she just throws this bowling ball it goes off and causes havoc and then it jumps back into her little bowling bag that she carries around with her this it movie's is. fun and it weird, is. you guys. <laughs> and then after that, it's a little while before they pick up their last member, isn't it? It's um, Wes Studi comes in towards the sort of last third of the movie, I think. Well, he comes in mid. He comes in midway mm. through to train them. Because mm. um, he saves and... them from getting shot by Eddie Azard's accent. And, yeah, uh, so they're who's, about who's the other guy. It's um, it's the least famous. Fuji, oh, it's Pras Michelle it? and Eddie Azard um, as Tony P and Tony Pras, C because yeah. it's the late nineties. <laughs> yeah, there's also uh, Lena Olin in there uh, playing Doctor Annabelle Leake, who is the like another henchman of uh, Casanova Frankenstein, who at like for at, at least the first minute she was on screen, I was like, did they actually get Isabella Rossellini? <laughs> yes, I was exactly the same. I had to look it up. I was like, I'd completely forgotten Isabella Rossellini was in this movie. <laughs> um, I, I'd be surprised if they hadn't dressed her specifically so like Isabella yeah. Rossellini. Um, yeah, so th- there's this training sequence in the middle. And, and now here's here is another thing. I know we are talking about this movie and genuinely enjoying it. It's 120 minutes long. And I think there's some fat that could be trimmed. This should yeah. be like 96 it, minutes. Especially given when it's from. I always find it weird seeing any movie from before about 2005 
and it being two hours yeah. or two hours plus long. I always think of any movie, particularly from the nineties, as being a, a solid like kind of eighty-eight. It to does feel like a bit of a lost something. art. I mean, Men in Black's the extreme example because in Men in Black, not something like an hour and a quarter long or something stupid like that. Like it's really short. <laughs> Does anyone know of a of a podcast? I, I wonder of movies, ninety minutes or less. I don't know. Is is there one? <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out soon. <laughs> await await some plugs <laughs> on my Twitter feed. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I kind of think that the reason this is two hours long is because it's a movie with a budget, <laughs> and it clearly does have a budget. Like it. They they put some effort into like having action sequences and explosions and see and and the CGI involved and I kind of feel like maybe they they kind of thought well you know we're a co- we're a comedy but they've given I mean according to Wikipedia sixty eight million dollars right in okay this film the biggest stars in this superhero movie are the guy from Fargo and the guy from There's Something About Mary and they gave it sixty eight million dollars these <laughs> oh, maniacs Ben Stiller was a big star. Ben Stiller. Oh uh, no, you're right. They're maniacs, but Ben Stiller was a biggest star. There's something about Mary was definitely his biggest. I think the biggest star in this film is probably well, Tom Waits. To be honest, he is great. <laughs> yes, and again, that's that's something that comes in this middle sequence. So, uh, yeah, Wes Studi as the as the Sphinx. So they go off and they have some training with him, and he basically talks in inspirational quotes to everyone. And it's a one note. I mean, as a lot of these characters are kind of, there is a joke that they lean into extendedly. I would say that I find someone throwing forks and putting on an effete British accent a funnier one note joke to track for a movie than I do a guy who is there just to be inspirational. And, and, and specifically oh, only no, speaks love, in chiasm. I love his... Like, he only, he does the whole kind of yeah, I, I, yeah. I to prepare, prepare to fail kind of thing. And that's all All his things are... I, 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 I love those. I think I think oh. they're always fun. Because what I enjoy about them as well is everybody always takes them as a piece of great wisdom, except for Mr. Furious, who's just like, what the fuck, that doesn't mean anything. I think that's great. <laughs> it was, it was them to me. <clears throat> pretty fast and i'd like and the 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 middle segment where they go off and they yeah they visit tom waits and they get so he's like he plays dr heller who is a weapons expert and of like superhero weaponry and they get a bunch of his weapons and you get like little set pieces sorry surrounding some of them can I just come back to the sphinx and just just quote the one sphinx line that i think makes all of the others worthwhile which is when you can balance attack hammer on your head, you will head off your foes with a balanced attack. Okay, that's. Good. I think yeah, for me, good. the key moment for him is when Ben still is raging at him with all this stuff, and he's like, "Hey, put these watermelons on my feet," and he just looks at me and says, "I don't recall I asking ask you, you to do that." Ah, <laughs> uh, superb. Yeah. So all this is going on in the middle. They're, they're training, they're going off and yeah, and getting their weapons. Then there is the sequence where, yes, they kind of break into the mansion but accidentally kill Captain Amazing. Which is is great. It's really funny and it's it's great how badly these guys cock up. But then then there is a real MacGuffin that what what's Casanova Frankenstein actually gonna do now? <laughs> it's gonna blow up the city or something? Yeah. Yeah, it's, his device is just basically gonna. Uh, 
Well, is what is is it going to wipe out the city, or is it just going to put the city under his control? It's a thing. No. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Does it doesn't it? really matter because what because what what really is happening is that he's explaining all of this to a room of Batman sixty six. Yes, which is all of these different. They're so gangs funny. The some table. of the references. I mean, the fact that they have the goody mob in there as the not so goody mob that genuinely makes me laugh. <laughs> and like, they have a bunch of frat guys, and the main one is played by Michael, Michael Bay. Bay. <laughs> and, like, recognisably Michael Bay. Like, he is... I, I I was like, hang on. <laughs> was that Michael Bay? And it was. And then I discovered, because I'd searched for that, that the, like, head guy of one of the other groups is CeeLo Green. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it is. It is. You're right, Seb. It's like pure Batman 66. All these villainous groups wearing, like... Matching, so we've already met the disco gang, but yeah, there, there are all these different gangs around the table. In because yeah. yeah, Celo, it's the Goody Mob was Celo Green's like hip hop group basically before he was big breakout Celo mm. Green. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, but well, that's just why why they make the joke about it being <laughs> that we can cut this. <laughs> let's just. It doesn't matter. <laughs> keeping it all in um so yeah so that the, i so i think the way the film works is that they don't they they make it into the into like casanova frankenstein's castle by using all of the weapons that heller has given them to take out the various different groups but then they kill him or is that the second so no 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 they go in the first time and they kill caps amazing then they go back in with the new weapons, kind of take out the different groups. But at the same time, and I guess the the first the main characters that we haven't talked about yet is um, the uh, the kind of love interest for Ben Stiller's <laughs> Furious, uh, who is a waitress called Monica, played by Claire Falani. Um, Claire Falani doing, I guess, what she tended to do in movies in the late 90s, which was just to be walk around being gorgeous and the char- and characters around her responding to the fact that she was gorgeous. I was, I, I again, this is something I tweeted about, but I, I, watching this, I was like, oh yeah, whatever happened to Claire Falani? So I looked up her Wikipedia page and Claire Falani revealed recently that she had turned down Harvey Weinstein. Uh, that's what happened. So that's what happened to Claire Falani's mm-hmm. career. Yeah, there's unfortunately a lot of those from the late 90s, aren't there? Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's, you know, I think, I mean, yeah, she she often shows up, I say often, like for the, for the period of time that, that she had a career, shows up in stuff like this and often doesn't get loads to do or has to be the very, the kind of the straight female role i mean i think she i think i think she's better here than in mole rats put it that way uh i i i actually i think she's got a nice chemistry with him here and i liked i liked claire falani when in the back end of the 2000s where she started turning up in more independent movies and because she was a little bit older the films weren't as obsessed with her looks and actually allowed her to act a little bit um i think she's very good in hallam she's good in um, she's in she's in green street movie yeah. Oh, is she? Mm. I, mean, I have seen that movie. <laughs> Might cover that on a on a. Yeah, there we are. 
The more one, about that the later, one, guys. The one image I can't shake from my mind is Elijah Wood at the end of that movie singing <laughs> I'm Forever Blown Bubbles walking down the street on his own. And just, I, I, I seem to remember a little piece of me dying inside. I was like, Fredo, what have you done? <laughs> I think I mean I I think we will cover that on on beyond the touchline because it's one of the most incredibly misguided enterprises like just it's an incredible thing that that exists. Um so yeah so Claire Falani is uh she's kidnapped by Casanova Frankenstein. And all of the plot stuff here it it, it kind of get a bit <laughs> I kind of feel I I feel I kind of feel in the third act here. While there are like funny little set pieces around some of the weapons and some of the powers, and and so Mister Furious finally gets to go furious, that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I guess it, the gag is with Mister Furious though, right? That even when he's furious and he does fight well, he's still not got. Super he's just really angry. He's just. Yeah, he's mm. just really angry. I kind of wish he danced <laughs> at one point. <laughs> In that junkyard. Oh, I love who's the actor who plays the the woman who owns the junkyard because she's brilliant. Just this horrible, mean old lady who runs the junkyard that he works in. Just laugh it like just belittling him close up to his face with that kind of like oppressively oppressively hairy chin. <laughs> it's very yeah. She's she's very funny. Um, nah, I don't she know was who that to- is. Um, yes. Maybe I'm just attempting to see if I can find it in time. While, Louise Lasser, Louise Lasser. No, that's. Uh, I thought that. No, that's that's his. That's her. Uh, Blue Rajah's mum. Ah, of course. Mm. Hey, anyway, Seb will continue to look at that. But yeah, uh, I'll. The, the third act. Yeah, I mean, me a little bit. The third it's act like, is. The, the third act is bits, basically but... a series of short sketches in which each of the characters gets to prove their worth to the team by using their powers in some kind of order building up to the the final kind of confrontation. And so you get to have a bit where the spleen's powers are useful, a bit where in, the invisible... In billing order. Yeah, it's, it's, it's essentially just basically reverse order. You have been watching and it's just... Each of them do does their thing, does their little party piece, and then you basically get the end of the film. It's it's a curio, I think, this movie, because it's not like I think there's a lot that's funny about it. And when I was saying at the start of the podcast, I kind of like it's curious that it hasn't become more of a cult movie. I think it isn't, it isn't. I think it's curious because it's a superhero movie before superhero movies were really invoke and probably actually is is in that weird little two year lull of oh our superhero movie's dead uh have we have we stopped i mean like if x-men's a flop then we're probably done um and and yet it's got this cast that is kind of strong enough across the board that i kind of i kind of feel like this movie on paper should have become a big cult movie that soup that like nerds and superhero fans talk about, like, oh, we don't talk about mystery men enough. Um, I think ultimately though, it's just a solid yeah. comedy. And whilst it ha- whilst it has some good riffs on superhero stuff, going back to it now, nothing feels like so incisive or so like I, I don't think it has enough of a genre to play with at this point. 
to become really that movie that people go, oh, we really didn't appreciate Mystery Men enough when it first came around. I think, yeah, I think the thing is, I think it does do some fun stuff with the concept of superheroes, but it does all of it with Captain Amazing and Casanova Frankenstein, and they are a relatively small part of the film. Um, It's not interested in using the other characters to explore any kind of riff on on superheroics. What it is, is it's an oddball bunch of characters who are a fun set of characters who have good dynamics and bounce off each other well, but it's that they have a particular thing in common that brings them together. And that thing in common happens to be that they're all costume vigilantes. But it's not actually using almost anything with them to riff on the genre. But I think I think I think why I think those of us who do kind of remember it quite fondly as a take on the genre, I think it's because of that Captain Amazing stuff. And I would almost have happily watched more of a film that was about Captain Amazing and Casanova Frankenstein. Whether it would have just turned out to be one note, I don't know. But as I say, I, I think there are ideas there, and it may seem like a little thing, but that 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 sponsor logo thing shows to me a bit of thought has gone into, you know, what what are we doing with the genre here? Mm-hmm. Would you make a sequel? Yes, definitely. But I, yeah, I, yes, I've already pitched it. <laughs> I think you could do a sequel with the original cast, absolutely no problem. And it'd be Netflix a, a come along with thirty million dollars and say, "Yeah, yeah, can you make us? Can you make us a, a sequel?" Al- alternatively, if you're going to remake it, Chris Evans for Captain Amazing, <laughs> doing kind of. Half Captain America, half, half Captain America, half Scott Johnny Pilgrim. Storm. Oh yeah, so yeah, all, all yeah I think uh, yeah. a Lucas yeah. Lee version of of Captain America yes. is basically what you, you want there because yeah. you want someone who is outwardly just like this awesome white bread kind of character, mm. but internally or behind closed doors, he's just a dick. But I, uh, I don't, do, I don't do think you know anyone in it is is I don't think anyone who was in it is too famous twenty years later or too decrepit twenty yeah. years later. Uh, to resume their roles. I mean, I, I don't know how old West Studi is. He will probably be in his seventies uh, by this point, won't he? Yeah, seventy-one. Yeah. Here is what uh, this. Uh, this is not the pitch. This is just what I would like to see from a Mystery Men sequel. You do, you do like the kids of all of these characters getting together to be almost like a young Mystery Men team, but their leader is someone. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that in the interim, Son of Pencilhead became like the new <laughs> Captain Amazing, improbably. And you still got all the original cast kind of like I, bitterly. I think at that point, young, Netflix these, these needs to do it as a TV show rather than a movie because, I mean, you've already got a main cast of about 14 people, and if you're going to do all their kids as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, or maybe just the Son of Pencil Head spin-off. He can show up in the trench. <laughs> um, okay, so any any final points you want to make on Mystery Men before um, we move on? I just... A couple of things. One, the music is really weird. And it's by Stephen Warbeck. And Stephen Warbeck was fresh off of... Um, he won an Academy Award the year before for his Shakespeare in Love score. What an odd career move this was. But you've also got bits. Well, you've got a few things here because you've got some weird cover versions. You've got weird cover versions of "No More Heroes" and "Oh Yeah." The uh, actual Gangster. soundtrack album is is just crazy. 
Yeah, and he, and you got Mark Mothersbaugh in there, and he's got a cameo yeah. in it as well. I always this, just love to see. Was this Mark the start of Mothersbaugh's? <laughs> I mean, I don't know at what point he became like just one of the most dependable, solid guys for awesome movie scoring stuff. I mean, not that he scored this, but you know. Yeah, I mean, he'd been well. He'd been doing Rugrats before this. Shut the front door. What? Which look, I did not know this. Hang on, you didn't. You did not know that Mark Mothersbaugh did all of the music. I absolutely did not. This is amazing. You have I mean, brightened my evening. That's, that's what I knew his name for before really? I had ever heard of Devo. I knew his name as the guy who did the Rugrats soundtrack because his name is on every single episode. <sighs> See, I was at this point ninety nine. I was much more familiar with Devo than I was with Rugrats. <laughs> Also, he shows up in Yo Gabba Gabba. He has, ah, right, he has okay. a recurring segment on that, and my daughter is, is happily very obsessed. See, with I'm just Yo pleased that he's doing amazing work on things like Thor Ragnarok and Lego Movie Two and stuff like that. These days, just oh, his, so his good, fantastic. Anyway, so yeah, that that's one. And the other thing is, um, <laughs> you get some big names involved in the production of this movie. It's a Lawrence Gordon movie, so like you know, Lawrence Gordon gave us Die Hard and Predator and stuff like that. Brought us Mystery Men. <laughs> Sixty-eight million dollars, Al. In it's so so strange. Like, how much yeah. of a disappointment must the performance of this been to him? Like, how involved was he even? And also, Kinka Usher, the director, never directed another movie again. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I, I mean, I have not done the research into that. Um, I mean, he's but, he's had a career. All all it is is he's gone back to mm-hmm. doing adverts, and he's been successfully doing adverts ever since. Um, but it seems like he just... It seems like it's by choice rather than blacklisting because mm-hmm. it flopped or anything like that. Um, I did I, I did know when I was honest, reading something seen... that he, um, he turned up on Twitter, and his Twitter bio was, I'm the guy who's responsible for making all Star Wars <laughs> Mouth famous. I like that. <laughs> Uh, before I saw Mystery Men for the first time, the one kind of take that I was aware of on the movie was could have been amazing if they'd hired a real director. <laughs> and I think it's a, it, the the film has a weird look to it in that it kind of feels you can tell it's got money behind it, but it also feels kind of lo-fi and cheap. Do you know what I mean by that? And it's in that, and it's in that weird stage mm. of CG as well, where there's enough CG in there that you that you're aware that it's happening, but they're not doing enough interesting stuff with it. It doesn't feel fully integrated. Yeah, there's not big production number style moments of CGI beyond the psychofraculator killing Captain Amazing, really. And and a lot of the time, I I, I I'm trying to think on a on a visual level, anything that I thought, oh yeah, I really take that image away from that movie, or like that scene is set up really interesting. There's a lot of like four dudes either sat or sat or stood around a table talking about a problem. Yeah, there is a bit of that. So maybe that's mm. why Kinka Russia hasn't directed another movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I guess he ended up looking kind of dumb. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got him, Seb. We got him. <laughs> <laughs> what a terrible song! <laughs> I can't do the whistle. <laughs> there you go. <sighs> Comic book recommendations, you guys. Uh, Al, I know that you are not recommending. <laughs> I know. 
but you would have done if it was No, I've actually changed what I was going to recommend you whilst we've been talking about this because I I had one that was a great comic about um, kind of schlubby superheroes that bicker a lot. Um, An amazing comic called Quantum and Woody, but I may save that for if I come on another time and we're doing something comparable. But because we were talking about Dark Horses comics and the movies that were made of um, low-power super characters from Dark Horse, um, and we talked a little bit about um, Madman, the the Mike Allred comic, I am going to wreck you Madman, specifically Madman Comics, issues 1 to 11, and they're available as a book called Madman Volume 2 on Comixology. Um, it's just called Michael Allred's Madman Volume 2 it's got Madman Comics issues 1 to 11 in it and it is about a guy called Frank Einstein who dies he comes back to life brought back to life by a mad doctor um, and he looks like a Frankenstein's monster kind of thing he's grey skin great big huge stitched scars all over him and so he wears a superhero costume that's the costume of his favorite superhero to disguise how terrible he looks and he the 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 whole thing is just these weird stories about this he's a lovely guy he has a lovely girlfriend they have some odd mates and um some friends who are scientists and some friends who are like a friend who's an alien and a friend who's a robot and um they have these very strange adventures and he has no superpowers except he has got this weird kind of third eye thing which is something to do with the fact that he came back slightly wrong and it the mystery of that is sort of eked out very 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 slowly over the course of about 10 years of comics um but it was one of my favorite indie comics um i got a trade called uh, it was madman comics yearbook 95 and it was a collection of the first five issues of this series and it has remained one of my absolute favorites it is what converted me to being a fan of mike allred mike allred is my absolute favorite uh comic book creator just an incredible right um incredible artist a pretty good writer um madman amazing comic just very very sweet very strange very um tender comic which seems an odd thing to say about a superhero comic. Um, but he's not going out fighting supervillains and stuff like that. Um, a lot of it is him trying to get I'm through his, his life. some of the covers, Al. I'm looking at some mm-hmm. of the covers on Cometsology. He looks from, like, picture to picture, like uh, Shazam and Deadpool and the Silver Surfer. And the Rocketeer. Oh, the Rocketeer looking guy um, isn't him. Edward the Rocketeer looking guy is one of his mates. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but no, his, his costume, it looks a bit silver in some of the covers, but it's a white um, costume. He's got these kind of sunken black eyes on it, which is a little bit Deadpool-y. Um, but the, the exclamation mark on his mm. chest, yes, is, is a very deliberate kind of echoing of the, the Captain Marvel um, uh, Thunderbolt kind of logo. Um and part of that is because it's it's the costume of his favourite comic book hero. And there's this real kind of 1950s sci-fi Rocky Horror kind of aesthetic that runs through it as well. 
I just absolutely adore it. It's one of my favourite comics of all time. Despite the fact that, and, and, and it is a fact, that Mike Allred is one of the best ever artists in the history of comics, I've never read any Madman. So I may take this recommendation and go and... Yeah, volume one of the Madman stuff that's, that's on Comicsology is um, earlier stuff um, that is... It was pre-even going to Dark Horse. It was kind of self-published stuff and kind of indie, really indie stuff. And it's a little bit... Um, it's still brilliant, but it's a little bit harder to quite get into. But I think the, the fact that he moved to Dark Horse, moved into colour, um, became part of a um, an imprint at Dark Horse, which also had things like R. Adams was doing Monkey Man and O'Brien, Frank Miller was doing Sin City, Paul Chadwick was doing Concrete... Um, uh, Mike Manola was doing Hellboy and they were all kind of in this little grouping it was almost like a an, um, sort of a weird version of almost like Image but at Dark Horse if you see what I mean like they all had these writer artists that took their their created their creator own characters to Dark Horse at the same time um, and so it was part of that kind of setup but it's been all over the place since it was published by Oni for a bit it was published by Image most recently I think if you buy it on Comixology you're buying an Image uh, collection um, but yeah it's great the only thing I don't like about getting Al on this podcast is that he shows up mine and James's expert <laughs> inverted commas credentials by knowing so much more about comics than we do it's a wasted life Seb <laughs> go on Seb it's your chance to it's your chance to respond what is your comic book recommendation this week well the funny thing is my comic book recommendation is a comic that I only know about because of Al <laughs> recommending it on his podcast uh, I'm going to I'm going to recommend a recent comic actually from within the last six months or so uh, you, if you've listened to House of Astonish's end of year awards you probably already know where I'm going with this uh, but it's the wrong earth uh, the reason I'm recommending this is, I mean, it's it doesn't quite have the... I mean, it's got a bit of kind of comedy and satire to it, but um, it's it's not because it's a, a funny superhero thing so much as it's an example of doing that very difficult thing of creating a a superhero world of characters and, and actually having it work. Um, and Because actually the thing I compare it to is something that I would have recommended, but I'm sure, I'm sure I've recommended Hero Squared in the past, haven't I? Uh, on this podcast, I must have. Done. I mean, the name rings about. Yeah, it's probably from the era where you stopped having to actually read them and do minisodes. So I probably recommended it, and you didn't read it. Hero Squared, uh, which is by the Justice League International team of Giffen and Dematis, uh, and it's about a guy uh, who uh, no, he doesn't find himself in a parallel universe. A superhero finds himself in a parallel universe where his parallel self is not a superhero and is basically Fry from Futurama. Um, <laughs> the Wrong Earth is basically what if. Batman from The Dark Knight Returns and Batman from Batman 66 woke up one day in each other's universes. And it's tremendous by uh, Tom Payer and Jamal Igel. And um, it's okay. When I say it creates a superhero world effectively, admittedly it does so by having just about every character be an obvious pastiche of a Batman character. Um, but it does have that Captain Amazing Casanova Frankenstein thing going on with Dragonfly Man and uh, Number One, who is basically the Joker equivalent. There's a nice touch that... Um, because uh, obviously he's got a ridiculous name, Dragonfly Man. The the Adam West cheery version is called Dragonfly Man, and the grim, brooding, frankly killer version uh, is just called the Dragonfly. Um, 
and yeah, so as I say, you know, you have the kind of you have you basically have Adam West dropped into a brutal world of corrupt cops and violence, um, and Dragonfly Man being dropped into a Batman sixty six world. Uh, it's had six issues out. It's just finished essentially its first season. Annoyingly, it said at the end of issue six, it's not coming yeah. back until twenty twenty, which is <laughs> maddening because those first six issues are great and just I I like as Al did on House of Astonish. Like I heartily recommend it as one of the best new comics of a good long while. Fantastic. Okay, so uh, that was the comic book recommendations. And we'll move on now to our final section, which is the pitch. Al, I'm not sure if you're ready for okay. this, but we've mixed up the pitch. It's now, it's it's new, it's fast, it's Oh agile, no, I'm not any sexy. of those things. Um, <laughs> um, well, I mean, if you're not, I'll make Seb go first. Uh, so in this in this new version of the pitch, um, I, just, I, I just asked you, the question you've got to answer it straight away and it's going to be fast it's going to be concise and i choose a winner okay. and that keeps everyone happy we actually got some quite good feedback on i'm ready put me in coach episode, which <laughs> never happens so uh and I, I hopefully this will get you thinking uh seb because you gave me a good version of this as we discussed for around 2002 but what i want to know is in 2019 where would you cast Ben Stiller in a comic book movie, a modern comic book movie in 2019? Um, oh, as uh, just to annoy Al as Howard the Duck. <laughs> How is that going to work? As 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 the voice of Howard the Duck. Can you tell me you can't imagine Ben Stiller as the voice of an incredibly angry duck? Oh yeah, that is a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Angry Howard, Ben Stiller as Angry Howard. I can see it. I still don't want to see that animated TV show, but I can <laughs> see it. Al, can you do better than an angry oh, voice of Howard? I don't know. Are ben Marvel Stiller? looking for a, an actor to play a short, angry, hairy character nowadays? I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon Ben Stiller, J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> oh, do you know what? Do you know what? <laughs> Seb. I I'll, mean... <laughs> I'll, I'll take the defeat. That's, uh... It's, yeah. Because that, that's a difficult one to get. I mean, the, the, your original joke, I was thinking, it's yeah. funny, but... That <laughs> that's bad. basically um, my shtick. But you... But you're talking, <laughs> you're talking there about two of like kind of the most difficult to recast roles. Mm. You can only do jo- Jonah by not doing what they did in in Spider Man and going exactly. completely close to the comics. Like you have to go a different way, and this is why I've always said the next Jonah should be a woman. It should be J J Jane Jameson. Uh, no, J Joan Jameson. It should be. But well, you had yeah, Jane Lynch. Oh, she'd be amazing. Yeah, but that's. Yeah, Jane Lynch is a film, but that's not what we're here to do. That's I've pitched that in the past. So uh, if we can't have Jane Lynch as Jonah, I mean, that's yeah, that's a way to go. Certainly, particularly if you take the modern, if you take, if you make him a, a like a, a radio presenter or a podcaster or something, who's always having. Well, a that's basically problem. what they've done with him now. Then, is they basically turned him into Alex Jones in the comics. Yeah, that's what I mean. Also, yes. Ben Stiller yeah, exactly. has a very large amount of upper it, upper lip uh, real estate on on which <laughs> he could be. 
on which I could exactly. imagine a moustache. And if you want to imagine what a moustache on him might look like, <laughs> imagine Jerry Stiller. But you know what, man? <laughs> Famous <laughs> yeah. wearer oh, moustache. It's you know, and Jerry Stiller would have mm. been an interesting Jonah. <laughs> yeah. I can only I'm say one thing to, uh, to, to counter that suggestion, which is now that we've talked about uh, a guy with a moustache to play a, a podcast, uh, J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, actually, Maron he'd be brilliant. Although I'm still holding out for my uh, Mark Maron and Ray Wise play 19, 1970s Stan oh, Lee and yes. Jack Kirby. <laughs> Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, yeah. We're all there. <laughs> with, with Bob Balaban and Steve Ditko. Look, I feel like it's all over the place yeah. here. Come on, yeah, I it's feel like I've got, I've got just enough Mark Maron in my life. There's there's only so many times I can listen to Mark Maron, either just talking as himself or just playing himself. It's fine. I don't the great thing about Mark Maron, um, great, Al, great thing about Mark Maron is you're always. Week. If you ever need to know who somebody's guys are. Then you've got someone who will ask that that hard question. Nah, so uh, who are you guys? Or if you ever need to be reminded what to do when you get to the end of your long driveway, he, he's got the perfect <laughs> advice. Um, he's Mark Mark Marin, right? <laughs> so yeah, Al wins the pitch this week. I don't think we need to spend too much Mark, more time. Mark Marin, Mark, Mark Marin could admit uh, to having murdered a man in the first ten minutes of his podcast, and no one would ever know. <laughs> Pow, I just murdered a guy. Um Al, thank you very much for joining us on this Thanks mystery so much for episode. Me. Um Do you want to let our listeners uh know uh, where specifically they can find you and all of your hashtag content um, on You can the best place probably to find me is on Twitter, <laughs> where I am at House to Astonish. Just as it's spelled, um, as it's spelled as it sounds. How do you spell it? Just as it's spelled, okay, work it out. Um, you can get House to Astonish the... You don't spell it in a weird Scottish way. It's not way Who's to like Astonish. <laughs> who's, who's to Astonish? <laughs> <laughs> we, we might consider that. Sorry, I got, who's I got racist to bamboozle <laughs> or something. Anyway, um, so... Yeah, you can get me there. The actual show um, is on Libsyn. You can get it on basically all your normal podcatchers. You can get us on Spotify. We're also on Stitcher. You can get our blog where um, my co-host Paul O'Brien blogs about mostly X-Men comics, but also about um, British chart music, if you're interested in that. Um, that's just HowStoAstonish.com, and that is pretty much... Any posts on Smash Not Smash? as far as I'm aware. That could be a, a fertile bit of untilled ground for us. <laughs> I mean, don't let him know. <laughs> um, yeah, fantastic. And um, House to Astonish, we are all listeners here at Cinematic well, thank Universe. thank you. That's all very kind. big fans, so would heartily recommend uh, listeners. I mean, if you like this podcast, you're going to like theirs, because as Seb said, that like... <laughs> Paul and I know a, a lot about comics and they talk about them in an entertaining fashion. It's great <laughs> hashtag content. So head to House to Astonish. <laughs> 
And Seb, you have uh, you have something that you want to plug as well. Yes, if you're not fed up of hearing me on podcasts, which you must be after uh, nearly 200 episodes of this, but uh, I've got a new podcast because Lord knows I apparently have enough free time to just keep doing lots of new podcasts. Um, so this is a new series called Beyond the Touchline that I've launched with two uh, fellow uh, football writers who are also nerds like me. Uh, and it's a podcast not about football, but about football culture. So movies and TV and comics and books and film uh, and film movies and film um, that, that are all about football uh, so our first episode that's just gone live is about uh, the damn united uh, both the book and the film uh, i think even if you're not interested in football hopefully there'll be stuff uh, that's interesting to hear about on the episodes yeah. about the if you're not interested themselves. in football at least be interested in leeds united yeah well you you might not like it then because you know, uh, the Dan United you... is not very positive about Leeds, uh, and no, um, but it's also it's also not very positive about Brian Clough, is it? Well, yeah. We don't need well, to. Let's we get, get into that. that. Yeah, let's let, listen. Yeah. Listen to it. You can come and guess sometime. If the you, most if you offensive about thing about that movie, Seb, is them getting Stephen Graham to play Billy yes. <laughs> We we do discuss that. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you can find that at um, beyondthetouchline.podbean.com and on Twitter at bttl podcast. And if you'd like to check it out, we'd really appreciate it because we put a lot of work into it and we think it's pretty good not that we don't put a lot of work into this podcast and think it's pretty good as well obviously we do <laughs> and I, d- I do need to download that Seth because I'm sure I'm sure I will enjoy it I hope so read the book watch the movie but hey if you're enjoying this show then please do subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice. Uh, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. You can uh, find our t-shirts on Redbubble. Um, and you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com. Get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at cine underscore verse, or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.